1: The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96FM. I'm finding it quite funny that the number of people who are going on about how long this count is taking in the US. And how long it's likely to take, you know. And also, oh, they'll be counting all day. I cannot do it quick. You've obviously never sat through... You've obviously never sat through a long count in Cork, South Central, that can run to three or four or five days. Stick with it. Stick with it. The results will come in the end. If we do get any news, particularly from Nevada, Nevada's the big one at the moment. Or It's a small one, actually. It's a small number of votes. But if we get anything from Nevada during the morning, we'll certainly go to it, because Nevada could clinch it for Biden. Will clinch it, in fact, for Biden if he wins. Nevada. But anyway, lots more to do. 1850 996 is the number. The text to WhatsApp 83 396 Email opinion at 96M.ie. Among the things coming up today, the Save Cork City Group are in court again. They're seeking a judicial review of the plan for flooding for the city centre. And as that judicial review gets underway people are asking them to withdraw it. The business sector asked them to withdraw it. the Chamber of Commerce, the Cork Business Association, the Vintners you name it, they're asking Safe Cork City to withdraw this judicial review and let us just get on with protecting the city because this is only November there will be another flood. There absolutely will be another flood sometime this winter. So while you're piddling around in the, in the courts looking for a judicial review We are once again mopping out our shops. We'll be looking at that and talking to some of the people who want that judicial review pulled uh, in the next half an hour or so. Also, it's got to be my favourite Cork table quiz question. And it's such a good table quiz question, it's now got a book written about it. What's that? Coming up a little bit later. But first of all, there's a little place called Crookon Woods. I've never been there, but I know it's very popular with locals. And it's the subject now of a petition why, Councillor Audrey Buckley? Good morning to you. Good morning. Where is it first?
2: Um, so, the Krucon Woods would have been part of the Crosshaven House estate. Um, so, it's a woodland, an ancient woodland corridor that would direct you up to um, two um, holy wells and to Temple Greedy St Matthew's Church. Okay. So it's been a walk for many years. I've walked myself for over 40 years, my my parents before me. Um, And unfortunately, um, in April, we realized that a 71 meters of uh, continuous woodland corridor was going to be redirected into a housing estate and back into the woods. Um, It just doesn't make sense. I don't understand how something like this could have happened.
1: Mm. So they're not taking away the walk; they're just re- realigning it through a housing estate.
2: Yeah. So you walk into this beautiful woodland, and then you're going to be—they're re- going to be extinguishing the woodland corridor of 71 meters. You're going to be walking 120 meters into a housing estate and back into this beautiful woodland. Mm.
1: Um, how, how long is the walk?
2: The walk is probably, well, you would leave Crosshaven and we would have a lot of walkers here, especially from walking groups from the city, would come down, would park in Crosshaven Village and walk up to it. It would take you up to Fennels Bay, Myrtleville, Church Bay. um, So it could take you five kilometres or you could do a longer walk of eight kilometres. So it's a safe passage for children, for dog walkers. Um, the red squirrel, fortunately, has um, returned in the last two years there. Um so it's very, very frustrating that something like this could have happened.
1: And why the diversion?
2: Well, we've been told by the developers it would be um, anti-social behavior on the 71 meters, which we don't believe as a tidy towner myself We've um, for 15 years ago a group of volunteers. We've created a fairy wood um, in there um, for kids. We've had Easter egg hunts in there. But now, with it being redirected into a housing estate, you you know your kids, your your pets will have to be you know watched. You've got you know 20 cars potentially reversing out of their homes.
1: Mm. So, so in other words, what will happen is, if I'm getting you correctly, is you'll be going along your your woodland walk. And then for what seventy to one hundred meters, one hundred and twenty meters, you come out of the woodlands through a housing estate and back into the woodlands again.
2: Correct. And there's no need for this. Um, It's to continue this. We need to protect our walks, and I think communities like I've only been a recent councillor for the last year. I can't read plans or maps, and that we were led to believe by the developer for many years that this this woodland corridor would be staying intact. Right. It was only in April we realised that they were redirecting us. Um, mm. So I don't understand why Cork County Council would allow something like this to happen.
1: Mm. Is it because they want to build more houses?
2: No, it doesn't make any sense because the woodland corridor that they want to extinguish wouldn't to have any really effect on back gardens because it's up at Steve's Bank. All oh, we're looking for two metres, to keep two metres of this path.
1: Right. Right, so it won't stop anything from being built. No,
2: no, no, absolutely not, no. We're talking about giving people in the, the those 10 properties um, a couple of metres of a garden that, to be honest, is up on a bank. So um, I don't think they could do much with it. Right, right. Um, it's just very unfortunate that things like this are happening. And I do think, um, personally, myself, for planning in that now, I will definitely be watching and trying to educate myself on yeah. how to read, planning and math, And I think other communities, you know, should, should probably be doing the same because this is a lesson that we all have to learn.
1: You have a petition up on change.org, which has around 970 signatures. You've looked for a yes. thousand. You're out. I think protesting as well and trying to, you know, gain po- or boost public attention, which would probably be easier in springtime rather than coming into the winter when people are doing a little bit less woodland um, walking but,
2: you, Well you'd be very surprised really? um, w- the amount of people that use this walk, a lot of children when we're out there, we've met so many people and new, um, c- new people into the community they, want, they came to Crosshaven to live in this beautiful uh, area and they um, have no realisation that this woodland corridor was going to be redirected to the woods and they're outraged like we are over this mm.
1: And there's been a lot of support locally?
2: Over, oh, yeah, and um, people are disgusted at what's after happening. And we, so when we're out there, we've actually met a lot of people, and we've been engaging with them, and they've been signing the petition. And all we want is uh, the planning. Um, have told us that it's actually the developers would have to change it because they got the planning. But I don't understand how Cork County Council could have given them planning to allow them to redirect and established for over probably 100 years yeah, and through a housing yeah. estate.
1: And I think it has some nature implications as well. The red squirrel then. Yeah, it's a there.
2: woodland corridor. Right. We have badgers in there, the squirrels are in there, there's a lot of um, species in there. Um, but it's just a safety for, really, for people walking. Um, and I think if you were one of those people that bought one of those houses... Imagine all those people. I mean sometimes at weekends there could be a couple of hundred people walking through there.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So but you wouldn't the see them.
2: them well, if you're walking past people's homes and your dog isn't on a lead or kids are running. No, no, ahead what of I mean you, is
1: if they left of it as it is you oh, yes, wouldn't exactly. even see them.
2: No, you wouldn't even see them. No, because the fence, the, the, the fence would be put up there and you wouldn't see them, no. And we really, um, as locals and residents, um, we're very passionate about yeah. this because we've all used it so much. Yeah. So we, as locals, protect it.
1: Yeah, I, I'm kind of thinking, like, if I was buying a house in there and, and had the prospect of people um, wandering through with their dogs and their kids all time every time all all the you know just and probably gawping in my kitchen window to see what kind of a kitchen I'm putting in do you know I wouldn't be too happy about it
2: no and I think even if you're reversing your car out you know from the driveway and you have kids who are running ahead of parents and that you know it's not safe
1: not safe okay well we've had no comment so far from the developer Fiona has asked Fiona Corker has asked for a statement Uh, We have nothing back yet. If we get it, we'll certainly bring it before the end of the show, Audrey.
2: Thank you, because all we want is to sit down and have open communication and try and rectify this. This is an established right of way, and you know, our rights of way are so important. Um, In December 2021, all rights of way in Ireland have to be registered. So this is really important that we will be registering all our rights of way. Um, It's opened up our eyes to things like this.
1: Okay, all right. We'll we'll follow this one with a bit of interest. Thank you. That's Councillor Audrey Buckley in Crosshaven. If you know the walkway, she's talking about what they're going to do if this gets through. Is they'll be part of it? You come out of the walkway, away from the badgers and the squirrels and the foxes, out into a housing estate, and then back in seventy to hundred meters later. Why? They, they say they say it's not necessary. They say it doesn't have to be done. The developer has got planning permission to do it. We have put in a request through Fiona for a statement from the developer. Should we get it? You'll be the first to know. 1850 715 Kate would love to see this wonderful amenity being protected. It would actually benefit everybody when it comes to selling houses. 1850
0: Cork loves the arts.
1: We do too.
0: That's why we bring you the Arts House.
3: Every Sunday on Cork's 96FM.
0: Hi, it's Elmery.
2: Each week we bring you the latest news from our vibrant and creative communities all around
3: Cork. Whether it's tips for the best live gigs online, new initiatives from Cork's writers and musicians, join Elmery Mall and Connor Tallon as we work to support and keep the arts alive in Cork. The Arts House. Sunday mornings 8 to 10 with Griffin's Potatoes Cork. Fresh flowery and full of taste. It's at the root of what we do. On courts 96 FM. This is courts gold Imro Award winning talk show. The opinion line with PJ Coogan.
0: Text or WhatsApp now. 96 96.
3: On
1: courts 96 FM. Yeah if you're interested in that cook on woods petition and find it on chair change Dot .org 185715996 a subject we have covered many times from many angles on the show over the last number of years is bullying and cyberbullying in particular new piece of research which is in the published in the examiner today or written about in the examiner today it's quite stark it says the majority of children who are cyberbullied are cyberbullied by somebody that they know rather than by a complete stranger. This is a, a new piece of research from Professor James O'Higgins Norman, who is the director of the National Anti-Bullying Research and Resource Centre. And he joins me. James, good morning to you. Good morning, how are you? Good. Back in the day when bullying was done face-to-face, if you like, rather than on a phone or on a screen, that was the way too. You, know, you, knew, you knew your bullies. It's not strangers, it's people you know.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I suppose, you know, there's always the possibility of uh, strangers uh, bullying people online, bullying children online. But in the majority of cases, um, what happens online is a spillover from uh, face-to-face experiences. So even though we're very concerned about online um, safety, as we should be, and cyberbullying in particular, um, our research would show that the... um, the, 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 the typically, when somebody is bullied online, it's someone from their school, or their football club, someone in their community that they know, and that there's some offline um, dimension to it. In fact, old-fashioned, if you like, traditional offline bullying is still much more prevalent than cyberbullying, um, and cyberbullying, if you like, is kind of a continuation of it into the online space, which of course makes it really difficult for for the child or the young person because, as you said there a minute ago, in the old days, you went home from school, you were removed from the bully and, uh, you know, you felt you were in a safe environment and there was a break from it. Yeah. Whereas today, because we all carry around the smartphones in our pockets, we know the children are carrying them from the age of 10, 9, 10 years of age and uh, on, that uh, the, the bully can access you in that way um, 24-7. So it, it really increases the pressure and the stress for the young person, and it's very hard for them to step away from it.
1: And do you find that, James, a combination of the two, i.e. the physical face-to-face bullying in in the school or the schoolyard, followed by the nasty stuff on the phone late at night, is it the same people doing it? Tends to
4: be the same people doing it. I mean, in fact, particularly in some of our research among girls, we found that in school they will tend to just ignore each other or be cold or isolate each other but would be quite, quite nasty when they're online uh, uh, later on in the day. And uh, But the actual face-to-face confrontation never happens. Uh, uh, face-to-face, it, ha- it happens online.
1: Today is a, a significant day as well. It's the first yes. international day against violence and bullying in schools.
4: Yeah, it's really important um, that last year the United Nations and UNESCO voted to make the first Thursday in November, every year from now on, International Day Against Bullying and Cyberbullying in Schools. And the reason it's important is that it means that the governments of the world have all now committed themselves to recognising bullying as a problem. It's not just a rite of passage, it's not just boys being boys or girls being bitchy. Bullying is a really serious problem that affects young people's lives, and this has now been recognised at the highest level by the United Nations and uh, by UNESCO, and today is is being marked all over the world, but most especially here in Ireland, because we've been doing a lot of good work in Ireland to tackle this problem in recent years. The Department of Education has um, issued a number of policy documents and guidance to schools over the last seven years, And um, schools are trying their best to implement those, although it can be difficult at times. And this is a chance for us to redouble our efforts now in terms of implementing those policies at a school level.
1: There was a time when you could nearly see who would be bullied in school. Kids who stood out a little bit from the the crowd, from the herd, were the ones... Mm -hmm. Who were picked on? Like back in my own day, I was bullied at school for many years. I've talked about it, okay. if not news to my listeners. But it was yeah. because I, I had didn't do sport. There was a awkward child with different hobbies, shall we say, to the yeah. the others yeah. around me. I was picked out and and bullied for that. Your research is showing that it's a little bit different nowadays.
4: Well, yeah, I mean, the if we look at the UNESCO research on this it shows that you were not actually uh, alone in that experience. About a third of children all over the world have experienced some form of bullying and violence in school in the last month. Um, And the number one reason why um, they're being bullied, the most common um, reason for it is because of the way they look um, or because of their identity. So everything from the size of your body To the colour of your skin um, tends to be the the reasons why um, kids are bullied. So something that makes them stand out, something about themselves that they can't help probably about themselves, um, it it draws them to the attention of somebody who wants to bully. And remember, bullying is always about power. So um, for those who maybe don't identify with the mainstream or don't identify with the majority of the behaviours or the tastes or the uh, hobbies that everyone else in a class group um, identifies with that puts them on the edge and the bully then can move in and use that as a way of increasing their own power in the group um, so on the other side we always have to remember that bullies usually are children who have been hurt or traumatised in some way themselves or at the very least they have learned to communicate with the world in an aggressive way and um, they also need our support and that's often not something that we like to talk about. Or it's a
1: slightly controversial points. line that yeah. one is, Professor, because you know what that almost sounds like to someone like myself, who many years ago, or anybody listening who is yeah. a victim of bullies. Yeah. Oh God, you're making excuses for it. His poor, misfortunate life led him to be yeah. a bully. You're uh, making yeah, excuses I- for bullies there.
4: Absolutely not uh, the, uh, every everybody of course, at some stage in their life has to take responsibility for their actions and for the way they relate to other people, um, but we all have uh, we all grow up and exist within a certain set of circumstances that influence the, our ability to make choices so this is a kind of a bigger question about life in general i mean what to what extent has, Had I got pure choices to make in my life or had you got pure choices to make in your life, most of us are influenced by who we grow up with, the community we belong to and so on. So we just, bullies are not irredeemable. Bullies are not um, kids who, um, you know, cannot be helped. They're not born, they're made. Exactly, that's a great way of putting it. Bullies are made, they're not born, and uh, they can be unmade as well with the right type of help and intervention. Now, that's not to say that the experience of the victims, the targets, um, as, we, as we prefer to say, uh, is to be in any way reduced. And in, in dealing with bullying, the first um, uh, action, course of action must always be to protect and support targets. Too often, in my experience, uh, in fact, in schools, Uh, targets are not believed, Uh, parents are frustrated when they go to the school to report it even though there are really strong um, policy requirements in place from the Department of Education and from uh, school boards of management, uh, teachers tend to get anxious uh, about this topic yeah. and sometimes take it personally that someone has been bullied in their class. It's almost like a failing for the teacher. Yeah. So we need to really support our teachers. And like one of the programs that we're running out of DCU is called uh, the FUSE program, and it's freely available to teachers in every school in the country And um, thanks to the support we receive from Facebook, re uh, Think Ireland and the Department of Education and that program works with teachers to build their capacities in working as partners with parents and
1: students to tackle bullying. Yeah, because it is something that's come up many times also when I've spoken to parents whose children are being bullied that they feel powerless to do anything. They've gone to the schools, they've reported it and the yeah. report has disappeared into thin air nothing's ever actually been done about it.
4: Sometimes in my experience, teachers take, take on a kind of, because of their own anxiety around this space. And remember, you know, it, I have had the experience of working with schools where uh, a child who is bullying other children has been identified, parents have been contacted, and then the parents become extremely defensive. There is no way their little Johnny or Mary could be a bully. And um, it becomes really contentious and yeah. very difficult. So teachers are naturally hesitant about um, dealing with this. But there are other people in the school who can support them. There are the SNAs, there's school management. Um, it's a whole school approach has to be taken. And it's really important that teachers don't feel or that, and are not left in, on their own to deal with this. But yeah. it, what happens sometimes is a courtroom kind of scenario develops where teachers and school staff set about looking for ev- developing a chain of evidence that you would, would, you'd want for a courtroom. You don't need that. If a child says they're being targeted... What needs to happen is for an adult to take charge of that situation, speak to the person who's engaging in the bullying behaviour and even if if there's only a suspicion of it, there's no harm in talking to that child and saying, if this is happening, if you're behaving in this way, it's causing distress, it has to stop,
1: you know. Mm. The other thing about schools too, and this is the thing, the argument that, well look, once they walk in the door at quarter to nine and they're gone out the door at quarter past three, I'm not responsible, or the school's not responsible for what Child A does to Child B on Snapchat at 10pm.
4: Well, that's not true. Um, Isn't that, not? Is, no? No, absolutely not. And the Department of Education's action plan on bullying 2013 is very clear that where things are happening outside the school that impact on a, on a child or young person's ability to learn and to succeed and to, and to flourish at school, then of course the school has a duty of care there. Now that's interesting school,
1: now, that's very it interesting.
4: It doesn't mean that the school um, has to take on the complete role of dealing with it on their own. It just means that in partnership with parents and other support people such as the local um, guards or whoever it might be, uh, that they work with them to address the issue. Um, it's unfair to expect schools to have all of the resources to be able to deal with every problem that occurs in society. But the school does have a role. It, it, it would be a very strange type of school that would callously say, oh, sorry, it's after 3.30 in the afternoon.
1: Uh, that's nothing to do with us. You know, if, we're, if we are... Actually- it, it, it might be a callous... Kind of a school professor in, in, in your mind, and it would be in many people's minds, but I can tell you straight out of parents that have spoken to me, and when they went to the school or tried to get a satisfaction off the school, they were told, listen, I can't control what's, what they're doing to each other outside of here.
4: No, of course not. But you can talk to them and work with them during school time uh, about issues that affect their whole life. The one thing that every school in Ireland um, claims is that they're developing the whole child. If we are really developing the whole child, then that, that development has to take place in the context of everything that happens in their lives. And everything that happens in their lives impacts on their ability to learn and to flourish and to be well and and to be able to negotiate life in a meaningful way. So of course schools teachers SNAs everybody has has a role to play in doing that.
1: Okay. All right, listen, thank you for your time this morning. We really appreciate Professor James O'Higgins Norm- Norman from DCU. Today is the first international day against violence and bullying in schools. And there Finding, that specific finding, which I guess now that it's written down, it's real, but we kind of always knew anyway. Do you know, most people are bullied. They were in the past and they are now. Most people are bullied by somebody that they know. And now that it's focused on cyberbullying and phones and texts and Snapchats and iPads and all these things, like if your child is being bullied, the chances are they're being bullied by somebody they know, possibly even by somebody you know, that they hang around with. Would that make it easier for you or harder for you to tackle that? And with regards to schools, and this is a question that, look, we've had this teased out on the opinion line over and over again. If you went to the school, to your son or daughter's school tomorrow, and said, listen, Tommy or Mary is being bullied at night on her phone, They're sending her horrible messages. They're saying horrible things about her on Snapchat. I want you to do something about it. Would the schools do something about it? Or would they say, they're not supposed to, but would they say, no, listen, once it happens off the premises, there's nothing I can do about it. But the fact that your children are most likely to be bullied by somebody that they know and somebody that they know well. Has that happened to you or... Have you any thoughts upon it? Have you ever had to tackle it? Have you ever successfully tackled bullying in your son or daughter's school? I'd love to hear your story. 1850-715-996. It's huge. What a goalkeeper. Oh, what a goal. It's historic. Champions of England, Liverpool. And it's here. What a free kick from Kevin De Bruyne. Join me, Trevor Welch, on 96fm.ie as we bring you the Premier League live, exclusively online. Go. I'm
0: ready to go. Go, go. This Saturday, it's Everton versus Man United at 12.30. Crystal Palace versus Leeds United at 3.00. Chelsea versus Sheffield United at 5.30. And West Ham versus Fulham at 8.00.
5: Go, go. Ready to go. The Premier League live online Powered by TalkSport Listen every Saturday by downloading The Corks 96FM app Or c 96 I. This is
3: Corks Gold Imro Award winning Talk show The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan Call us now 1850-715-996 On
1: Corks 96FM are looking again shortly at this Save Cork City story. They are going into the High Court this week today, in fact, to seek a judicial review of the Office of Public Works plan for flood relief in the city centre. They want a tidal barrier. We've had it out on the show before. The Chamber of Commerce, the Cork Business Association and other groups are appealing with them to withdraw the review and just let the flood relief go ahead for fear of another flood for fear of years more of floods while we argue about this I'll get to that in a while although we have a, a message in Best wishes to Save Cork City and their application for a judicial review City Hall and the so-called business associations are afraid the courts will once again find serious fault with the City Hall's poor approach I expect them to apologise for their slapdash approach to planning and their attempt to bully Save Cork City There are other sides to the argument, too. That's to come uh, shortly. But it's one of my favourite table quiz questions. I was stumped the night this came up on a table quiz. And normally I'm fairly good now at the Cork round. But there were three Lords Mayor of Cork. There's the posh bit. Brother Dominic taught me that. There were three Lords Mayor of Cork in 1920. There was Tomas McCartan. There was Terence McSweeney. And who was the third fella? And on the night he was asked, not one, not one in the room got it right. But now they'll get it right after E. Quinn Livin has only, not only um, thought about him and researched him, but he's gone and written a book about Donald Og O'Callaghan. E. Good morning to you. Good morning, Peter. Thank you for having me. Good to talk to you, sir. Another one of your explorations into something we should know about but don't. Who was Donald o- O'Callaghan?
6: Well, as you say, he was the third Republican Lord Mayor uh, of Cork in 1920. Uh, for the next table quiz, I should point out he was actually the fourth Lord Mayor of that year because William F. O'Connor started the year actually as Lord Mayor and then you had McCurtain, McSweeney, and O'Callaghan. Um, four in the year? Still, there were four in the year, <laughs> yes. Right. So, so. Imagine, the,
1: imagine the kerfuffle that it caused inside in the chamber now.
6: Exactly, exactly. Um, As for Donalogue himself, he was somebody who was born in Peacock Lane in June 1891. He went to school at Eason's Hill and then the North Monastery. Um, And after leaving school, I suppose, like a lot of his contemporaries, he became heavily involved in a variety of Republican organizations, like the Ancient Order of Hibernians, the Volunteers, the Irish Republican Brotherhood, and eventually Sinn Féin, which of course
1: led him into the political world. He was he was co-opted, or was it an uncontested by-election? Which, which was it? it?
6: It was an uncontested by-election. It actually came from the first Lord Mayor of the Year, William F. O'Connor, in the January 1920 municipal elections. He won seats in three separate electoral wards. And, of course, he could only claim one seat, so it triggered two by-elections. So that's how O'Callaghan came in in March 1920, through an uncontested by-election. And just one week after his first corporation meeting, Tomas McCurtin was murdered. So it was a dramatic start to his life as a councillor.
1: Certainly was. And And how did he become Lord Mayor then?
6: Well, after Terence McSweeney um, was arrested in City Hall on the 12th of August and was sent uh, to Brixton, uh, the councillors elected Donald Ogle Callaghan as the Deputy Lord Mayor, so he was deputising for McSweeney uh, during his hunger strike. So then on the 4th of November uh, 1920, 100 years ago yesterday, uh, he was formally elected as McSweeney's successor. He was the only candidate. Uh, this was perceived as probably being the most dangerous job in all of Ireland. He effectively, like um, McCartan and McSweeney, to some extent, was living like a fugitive on the run. He received multiple death threats. Uh, he didn't spend a night in the same
1: house. Um, so this was a dramatic period of time. And only five weeks after he took office, <laughs> there was the burning of Cork. He was an unlucky leader.
6: <laughs> he He was, I mean obviously, the times were were dramatic, uh, as you say, he was Lord Mayor at the time of the burning of cork. And within weeks of that atrocity, having again received multiple death threats, he departed Cork as a stowaway on board a steamship called the West Cannon. Uh, And that was quite a dramatic story as well. He was discovered by the master of the ship on the journey and put to work as a crew member or as a seaman. And that actually saved him, in fact, because when he got to America, uh, he was able to contest the deportation order by saying he was a legitimate crew member on board the ship.
1: Right. came back then to Ireland in 1921
6: He did, and he came back as uh, a member of the second oil. So even though he was in America in this period of time, sorry, in the first six months of 1921, he won an unopposed seat in May's general election. And after he came back as a TD, he took a very strong anti-treaty stance, delivering a landmark speech in particular on the 3rd of January 1922, in which he
1: criticised the rancour of the treaty debates. So what became of him in later life then?
6: Well, I think one of the fascinating elements of the story is how um, he kind of withdrew very quickly from political life. In June of 1922, he suffered a humiliating deceit in that year's general election. Despite being the Lord Mayor and an incumbent TD, he finished last out of seven candidates. Um, and then of course we had the civil war uh, which was moving southwards and I think he had no stomach for the civil war he was devastated at the loss of his Doyle seat broken hearted by the death of two of his closest friends Carl Brew and Harry Boland uh, so he departed on the sabbatical for a few months to Europe Aim de Valera brought that sabbatical to an end uh, and brought him home as a member of his alternative Republican cabinet but to some extent that was a fantasy kind of make-believe cabinet Mm -hmm. He was later sent by de Valera uh, to the U.S. as Special Republican Envoy. But by the start of 1924, I think he had had enough. He submitted a resignation letter uh, to Cor Corporation and then very quietly withdrew from, from public life. He very much shunned the limelight. He didn't write an autobiography. He didn't keep diaries. Yeah. He was unwilling to provide a written statement to the Bureau of Military History. Is that, so, is
1: that possibly why we've forgotten him, eh?
6: I think that's a large part of it. He really wasn't somebody uh, who wanted the limelight. So my book isn't a biography of Don Logan Callaghan. It's literally telling the story of his brief, high-profile political career from 1920 to 1924, because there wouldn't have been very much to say post-1924. So... That contributed to him. And he went to work us. as an
1: accountant, for goodness sake. Like, <laughs> <Yes. he> could...
6: <laughs> <laughs> It'd be hard to just as off, I think. Um, <laughs> and, of course, he was also forgotten, I think, in the context of McCurtain and McSweeney. Yes. The drama of their stories, the two martyred Lord Mayors, uh, obviously, you know, they kind of uh, very much overshadowed O'Callaghan.
1: Yeah, okay, listen, interesting to, to find out about him. And as always, as always, you, you enlighten us about parts of our history that we have forgotten, wrongly forgotten. A. Hey, Quinn Livin, thanks very much. And uh, best of luck with the book which is published this week. It's called The Forgotten Lord Mayor, Donald Ogo Callaghan, 1920-1924. Thanks, A. Hey, good morning to you. 1850 Yes, there were four in that year, but the three Republicans, was the one that they... A quiz question, but you know what? When you look at the shenanigans going on in the states at the moment, right, and all the various elections and all the various counts and all the various ways of counting and postal votes and all of that, like there was, he was un, un, unopposed after <laughs> the Lord Mayor. now figured this one out, right? Think about the local elections which we only had last year. So the Lord Mayor was William F. O'Connor in early 1920. He won three seats in the local elections three seats now can you imagine right? can you imagine Joe Kavanagh having won th- three seats that's the current Lord Mayor If you can imagine Joe Kavanagh having won three seats in the local elections the row they'd be he died in Dublin on the 12th of September 1962 and he's buried in Dean's Grange Cemetery the story of Donald o- O'Callaghan eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. There is a bit of a response to the story we did earlier on about the fact that nowadays new new research is saying that most of the children uh cyber bullied are targeted by someone they know. Does it help us to do anything about it? I guess only time will tell. eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Right, the last time we talked about the Save Cork City appeal, the judicial review against the Office of Public Works plans to deal with flooding in the city centre. It was in the context of those awful floods that we had downtown last month. Dreadful floods and people mopping and swapping and slopping water out of their premises yet again. And the minister responsible for the OPW and therefore responsible for the flood plan uh, came to Cork. That's Minister Patrick O'Donovan. And uh, he stood down near the Vodafone shop there, down by the GPO, and he issued an appeal to save Cork City.
5: The Office of Public Works, Cork City Council, have taken on board an awful lot of the views that were expressed. And we believe that the scheme is a far better scheme now because of the way in which we have engaged with individuals and others. And I'm appealing to people to think again, to pull back and to consider withdrawing the judicial review that's preventing the scheme from going ahead. Because I will be here, maybe not in two weeks or five weeks or whatever, but I will be here again with the same story facing the same traders talking about another flood.
1: And then I spoke to um, to jo- Johnny from the uh, Save Cork City Group, uh, an architect, uh, about exactly what the minister had been saying. In 2014, a
7: tidal barrier was proposed, and that would be complete now. And if they pursue the tidal barrier in the morning, it would be complete uh, in twice the time of the wall scheme. The wall scheme is a very long-term scheme. It can't work fully until it's all connected together. And you're talking about 15 kilometers of structures you know, around the center of the city. Um, there are huge concerns about the effect of the groundwater in the city, even the idea was abandoned totally, very quickly in Venice because of that particular problem. Because you can't tamper with the groundwater of a city, of historic buildings that, that, that sit on timber piles. The conditions that we have are very complex. And when you, when you attempt to dewater a city like Cork, all of that water has to be funneled out to sea. And uh, it, it rises, uh, the levels of water in the city. I mean, the, the thing is so complex. The fact that a small ball scheme is still being pursued when it's probably heading
1: to over 200 million at at present is, you know, it's of great concern to us. That's Jolly Hingerty. He's an architect, he's an activist with uh, Save Cork City. Now, the Chamber of Commerce, the Business Association, and other groups have gotten together as the judicial review hearing or as the application for judicial review hearing is about to open in the High Court. CBA and the Chamber and others have gotten together to ask Save Cork City one more time uh, to pull back Owen O'Sullivan's president of the CBA. Owen, good morning to you.
8: Good morning, PJ.
1: How are you? Good. They're, They're very passionate. They make a case for a tidal barrier. They say that in the long term, a tidal barrier is the only real solution. There's an amount of sense in what they say.
8: PJ, the, the OPW has never ruled out the tidal barrier, and I suppose that is part of the longer term um, scheme, and it should be, uh, I suppose that should be acknowledged. And um, but the uh, the Morrison's Island project, which is uh, the crucial piece in what we're we're asking for SCC to withdraw their objection, is to safeguard. Uh, the businesses in Cork City Centre. Now, on Monday, uh, the 19th of October, so many of our members and businesses in Cork City, they went to sleep that night, not knowing what they would turn up to in their businesses that morning. Uh, So many traders and so many members of of the CBA were in uh, the city that Tuesday morning, sweeping uh, human excrement out of their premises, contaminated water, stock damage, Um, I had so many people in tears. They said, oh, enough is enough. Um, We need a solution. Um, uh, Like, PJ, we are a business association. We represent our members. We're not experts in flood defence schemes. We have been calling on city council, we've been calling on government for the last, since 2009, since the major floods in 2009, to safeguard our premises, our people, our property, our city, uh, and they have come with the solution, and um, that has, has uh, influenced the, all the stakeholders in the city, has influenced the design. Um, and it's what the city needs, and what the general population and, and the businesses want is the Morrison's Island project to go ahead because that flooding PJ um, on the 20th of October would have been avoided if that. Uh, Scheme was put in place. Yeah, and they say, say if Cork City say
1: that the plan for Morrison's Island, and I'm quoting from the Echo here, damages Cork's potential
8: and degrades the identity in an avoidable way. Well, that's their opinion, and I I, I totally disagree with it because Morrison's Island is one of the most dilapidated parts of the city. Like, if you go down there, it, it, it's not exactly the, the prettiest place, and it's not exactly a tourist attraction. I think. The the planned public realm um, piece for Morrison's Island will brighten up the whole city centre. It will protect our businesses. It, it'll be it'll be an absolute life changing uh, project for Cork City. Um, look, I think the the key walls are being restored. Mm. Uh, there'll be there will be many uh, areas for for. Uh, areas for people to walk it'll, it'll, it'll brighten up that area completely um, I, I just want to highlight one thing PJ and like people are very much uh, I suppose it's the business community that are, are probably being affected, it's, it's people who love Cork uh, have an interest in this mm. um, and SEC have, have the argument that they're saving Cork City but I suppose anyone who has skin in the game in this uh, is affected and I, when I say skin in the game when I got a phone, I, I got many phone calls from our members that have, uh, have property in the city and they're encouraging billion-dollar companies to come to Cork City to create jobs, thousands of jobs, uh, and their, their negotiations were, were, were at risk because the, the businesses were looking at Cork on the news and seeing uh, water flowing down the South Mall and Oliver Plunkett Street, and they're saying, yeah. is this going to be an issue for us? Yeah. Now, if, you, if anybody listening today has family that are abroad, that are in London, that are in Australia. They had to go, and, or even in Dublin for that matter, and had to leave Cork to find a better career. This is an issue. The reason these companies aren't coming to Cork is because they don't see it as a secure environment for their business mm. because of the flooding issues, and it's a major, major problem, PJ.
1: Yeah, you, you, you mentioned excrement in the flood. That's not coming from the river, though.
8: It is, PJ, it's coming up to, it's coming up to, uh, up through the drains, it's coming from every angle, PJ. So that that is a major issue. It, yeah. it, it is human excrement, and that water is contaminated and has to be. Every yeah. premises has to be disinfected.
1: Yeah, and the fear uh-huh. is the fear is that as long as these judicial reviews are continuing, it'll happen again and again and again. Oh, and for no reason other than time, I'm going to park it there because I have to come up to the news and stuff like that. But that's. Thank you for that. That's Owen O'Sullivan, president of the Cork Business Association, one of the groups calling on safe Cork City to back off, as it were, and withdraw their application for a judicial review.
3: The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96FM.
1: Hey, Larry Donnelly there in the news talking about Nevada. Nevada, lads, is so tight. At the moment, Biden's on 264 seats in the Electoral College and Nevada has six votes. Uh, so 264 votes... Nevada has six, that would give Biden 270 1.2 million votes have been counted there so far and the gap between Biden and Trump has Biden ahead by 7,600 votes out of one point something million, 1.2 million Joe Biden's ahead by by 7,600 now votes are still coming in there the postal votes and I was listening to a journalist in Nevada this morning explaining how the postal votes can come in like today tomorrow the day after anything up to a week after polling day they can still be counting postal votes in Nevada so that's not going to be sorted anytime soon it could well be tomorrow before we get a result or even later before we get a result out in Nevada just struck me as a bit strange though with regards to postal votes imagine being out in Nemo counting Cork South Central after the next election and we're trying to fill the fifth seat or the fourth seat in, in Cork South Central, the fourth seat. And then this truck arrives in the gate in Nemo, this big truck arrives in and says, Hang on a second, lads, here's the postal votes. This is a strange, strange way of doing things they have in parts of the United States. We we'll keep an eye on it though. 1850 Text to WhatsApp O eight three three ninety six ninety six ninety six. Email Opinion at 96 ie. Let's go back to this story that we're covering where Save Cork City, and they're not available today because they're going to court. So in the interest of balance, that's neither, they're not with us. But many supporters of theirs are contacting us to say, look, balance this up. Please balance it up. The business community has asked Save Cork City to withdraw its judicial review application, even at this Late point, As Ona Sullivan said, look, in the interest of business, in the interest of jobs, in the interest of shopkeepers and other retail owners who've had to mop and slop out time and time again and face mopping and slopping again sometime this winter. And they're just looking for a solution. And the solution, according to the Cork Business Association and according to the Chamber of Commerce and according to many other groups, is to do the Morrison's Island project. And that at least would be... A start, save Cork City, Say Morrison's Island project, would ruin the city. It would be bad for the city. The whole OPW programme, they say, is bad for the city. And what they need is a tidal barrier. And they're going into court today to seek the judicial review against the OPW plan. And that is where we stand. Mary, good morning to you. Hello,
9: good morning, PJ.
1: What do you think of all of this, just as an ordinary citizen?
9: As an ordinary citizen, I suppose I'm kind of more cross really with the Chamber of Commerce and Business Association for basically shutting down free speech. And I suppose as a lay person who has no affiliation to either um, camp, if you like, I just think as a community, we, I certainly depend on these people who have the interest and have the drive and have the... Whatever to actually raise conscientious objection to plans you know that that come before, and you know if they have better solutions to propose, they should be listened to and not shut down like it, it's it 's fine the, the the cork or this um, that, that group, the safe cork city group they didn 't form two weeks ago after the last flood and object then this has been ongoing forever and the authorities, the city hall, uh, if they had engaged with these people at the outset.
1: Mm. Well, I think they did, to be fair. Yeah, there had many, no, me- they had several the, meetings. I heard
9: after the last flood there that the, the safe Cork City were trying to get um, to talk to the minister. The minister was giving out about them on uh, at, after the last flooding. Yeah. And um, I heard the Cork City person say they have been trying to get in in with the minister, really the, the way mm. the authorities, and they do um, write throughout this country, no matter what it is, basically if they don't get the answer they want, they ignore people, and then, you know yeah. keep, and they're trying to, they said, oh well you know, we don't have to engage with these people there'll be another flood and you know, public opinion yeah. will move against them, and you know, I just think on, on a broader context, we depend on people to raise conscientious objection, you know, to to question authority mm. and you know we have like the mess so many of the messes in this country are caused by the fact that we didn't question those in authority true you know be it the church the school the state whatever that like, kind of thing that was going on we didn't question and sorry like we have to also be who put that like the Morrison's Islands project basically the problem there is that the bridge by the School of Commerce is like the plug hole in a bath yes it's a safety. It's operating like a safety valve for the river if the if the river gets too high.
1: Yes, it just comes in over the island. Yeah,
9: huh? and I just heard the that that, um, that, that bridge should never have been
1: there to be quite frank about it. Oh
9: no, it's not. And who put it there? The people who now want to drive this their solution to this mm. you know, it's it that's that's really what the problem was. Like we know in um the last flooding, um Funkett Street was dry at the State after high tide. But it was when the plug hole opened by Morrison's Island and the whole place flooded. Mm. And that's all. That's but the Morrison's Island project surely, would address that issue. You oh, see, uh, yes, but that's fine. But like, surely, could they? Like we, ha- we all knew that the high tide was flooding. B- business had been warned this time. We have that river is tidal. Could they not put a solution? Take that bridge out of commission? in the periods coming up to, and have some kind of a barrier local to that bridge until this issue is resolved. Yeah. Like, um, I heard the Business Association guy there saying that that the tidal barrier is also in scope for a long-term um, flooding solution. Well, it seems that they both want this tidal barrier. Why can't they do something about that bridge, you know, at, be it a temporary thing or even really it wouldn't, you know... Mm. Sort that particular bridge out. It's a three feet breach in the wall. Yes. You know what I mean. On both sides or whatever, like kind of thing. It's a tidal. Which you're, you're younger
1: than me. I, I, I'm old enough to remember the row over that bridge. Right. And and I'm there, were not that much younger than <laughs> there were people. There were people. There were people who said it should not happen because of the fact that they did have to. Breach the walls, exactly, and that you'd always have a flood risk, I remember that route,
9: yeah, well, you know, and here we are dealing with that today, and who are those people who wanted that bridge? I bet you the business association wanted the bridge I bet well you it's the long enough Commerce now it's,
1: it's long his, uh, enough now to be that you know the 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 people running the chamber oh, and the people running the, the but
9: I'm saying but the, i'm uh, sorry, I'm talking about the organizations yes. than the individuals, and in fairness it is a huge you know one of the most widely used, used I suppose, bridges. if you were to close you know,
1: down that bridge and take it away tomorrow, there'd be war.
9: Well, yes, but I think, like, we have a tidal river. We know when these floods are going to happen or have a very good idea when these floods are going to happen. We know when high tide, we have all these... Yes. Could not something be done to take that bridge out of commission yeah. short-term during these... and leave a proper solution be put in place. I don't want miles of concrete around Cork City just because there's a three-foot gap down by Morrison that, that they don't want to admit yeah. is, is their error from legacy yeah. times, you know what I mean? It's, it's just not yeah. fair. And if the tidal barrier will sort it, why don't they do that first?
1: Yeah. You the, know what the, I mean? The like, cost, then, and, the, the cost like, and the time is the problem with the with the with the tidal barrier.
9: Well that's what I'm saying. We need a short term solution for that one bridge. Sorry, we're talking about six six feet here now, like kind of thing. Surely uh, with the and rather than putting miles and miles of concrete around Cork City, again, maybe shutting off areas of the river from view from Yeah. You know, when we're walking along the river or whatever. You know, we're it's really important, I think, for cities like rivers in cities really give them life, give them a- animation, give them, you know, character. It's yeah. Absolutely, which like, is the I word. Think. Save Cork
1: and City, used consistently. Absolutely,
9: yeah. we do not want. I don't want miles of concrete because there is one bridge that was put in incorrectly fifty years ago or however long okay. it's there.
1: All right, Mary. Leave it there. Thanks very much. Good point. Good call. Eighteen fifty-seven-one-five-nine-nine-six. That bridge, Trinity Bridge, the walkway bridge, over by the chamber, uh, the school of comm, I, I remember that bridge being the subject of a row when it was planned. I was only a that, but I remember it because you had to make permanent changes to the key wall, and and people warned at the time that there would be floods when the tide would would come up. Hi, PG. The biggest conundrum with any tidal barrier, says Councillor Kieran McCarthy. Hi, Kieran, is the cost. A tidal barrier proposed by the OPW in the lower harbour on both sides of Great Island so that more of the inner harbour can be protected and not just at Little Island. The cost of that is estimated at €1 billion. Euro. Such a cost could not be borne by Cork City Council or Cork County Council. Also, because of Cork's low population, uh, national state aid rules wouldn't allow for an investment. The dams upstream of the city also only stop 50% of a vast flood coming down the river. So river flooding is a huge issue. It's not just the tide that is the challenge, and that's from Councillor Kieran McCarthy. 1850, 715996. We have had a statement from the developer involved in our first story this morning, and that's the campaign to save the woodland corridor at Cookon Woods. We've had a statement from the developer involved which I will bring to you shortly. 185715996.
3: Corks 96 FM's Hit Mix is one year online.
0: So to celebrate, we're giving away 500 euros to one loyal listener.
3: 500 euros for your chance to win. Follow Corks 96 FM on Instagram now. Tag your mates, then share it in your Insta stories using the hashtag
0: #HitMixMoney. Hit
3: Mix Money.
0: 500 euros.
3: Corks 96 FM's Hit Mix. The home of non-stop fresh new music. Time, time, time
0: get paid. Listen on your phone,
3: smart speaker, or see 96fm.ie. This is courts Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715
1: 996. On Quartz 96fm. All right, we kicked off the show this morning talking to Councillor Audrey Buckley from Crosshaven about a dispute down there involving the right of way at a place called Crocon Woods and there's a petition and they're worried about the safety of their children and they're worried about nature and they're worried about walkers and residents in the area and at the time we didn't name the developer we merely said that we didn't have a statement to hand from them as yet but we'd asked for one and we've now got one It's O'Flynn, O'Flynn Developments, the O'Flynn Group. They're the ones involved. They're the developers involved down at Woodland Crosshaven. And they've asked me to bring you this statement, which I'm going to. The O'Flynn Group confirmed the ongoing works in their development at Drake's Point in Crosshaven are being undertaken in full compliance with the planning permission obtained for the overall development by both Cork County Council and on board Planola. There is an agreed woodland management plan which provides for underplanting and regeneration of our woodland area to ensure it's maintained and regenerated into the future for the enjoyment of both the residents of Drake Point and the local community. The suggestion that we've closed a pathway is completely incorrect, as there is a gap in the woodland at this location which always came into the field where housing now exists. Creating a passageway behind the new houses is not good planning practice, and O'Flynn Group have had to close a number of these over the years in other developments due to anti-social behaviour. The request by local residents which would need new planning permission would impact on adjoining homeowners, and O'Flynn Group do not have control of the land that the local residents are now seeking to use for the alternative pathway. That is their response to our first item this morning. And we're happy to give them the opportunity uh, to have their say. 1850-715-996. COVID-19, we're two weeks in today. Two weeks into level five after being, how many? Two and a half weeks in level three prior to that. And certainly the combination of the two seems to be having a positive effect. We need to keep up the good work that's next. 185715996. Access all areas
3: on Corks
1: 96 FM. Your guide to nightlife on the side. Hi, it's
3: Michael here with an update on Corks
10: Entertainment. Broken Crow in association with the Everyman in Garter Lane presents The Snow Queen, a new audio drama for all the family running from November 23rd to Friday, 18th of December. It's a new eight-part serial adaptation of The Snow Queen by Deirdre Dwyer, a fresh reimagining of Hans Christian Andersen's acclaimed children's story. You you can check out everymancork.com for more details. Access all areas. While we wait for Cork's venues to open again, you can catch up on two of Triscoll's music series from the first lockdown. At Home with Triscoll features classical musicians and singer songwriters and Piece by Piece featuring solo performances from some of Ireland's leading jazz improvisers. Go to triscollartscentre.ie for more details. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a rescheduled show coming up or any live streaming events by emailing AAA at ninety six fmie
3: access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side on Corks ninety six FM. This is Corks Gold Imro Award Winning Talk Show, The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. Oe three three ninety six 96 on Corks
1: ninety six FM. So two weeks ago today, we went into level five restrictions. And before that, for a couple of weeks, we had been in level three. And it would look, both nationally and locally, as if it's having an effect so far. So to the point where already the pressure is coming on government and NEFIT from certain sectors to ease off a bit early. No, don't be easing off early at all. 1st of December will do grand. Because if we ease off too early, we did that the first time. We eased off too fast and too quickly. And we know the mess that got us into. But at the moment, the numbers seem to be going in the right direction. Yesterday in Cork, there was 48 cases. I don't have any of my 14-day tables to hand for Cork this morning. I'll probably do them again tomorrow. But for now, let's uh, catch up once again with Dr. Neve Lynch, pediatrician in the bonds. Neve, good morning to you.
11: Hi PJ, how are things?
1: Good. few weeks in, the numbers going in the right direction, slowly but surely, now is the time to buckle down as hard as we can, isn't it?
11: Definitely, uh, love. we're doing really well, you know, it's great looking at the numbers, um, you know, they're, they're falling really week on week, um, people's behaviour has, has changed completely, uh, as it has had to because of Level 5, but I think part of what we're seeing is that people change their behaviour in anticipation. Um, So when people knew that Level 5 was coming, they stopped the house visits and the the parties and and things like that, you know. So um, it's possible that once we come out of Level 5, if we could maintain that that kind of behaviour, we Hmm. could stay away from trouble in the future again, you know.
1: Given the way that this disease works and that it can take anything from 10 to 14 days for a new case to, as they say, seed we still don't quite know do we need how much of this reduction is down to level 5 or down to the effects of level 3. So if we were to pile level 5 on top of level 3, we should we should see some real improvement, substantial improvement in another week.
11: Yeah, uh, so like we're a full 2 weeks now into level 5, but the numbers have started to come down before the 2 weeks was up, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So that means that people had changed their behaviour in level three, which it actually bodes really well for the future. Because if we can maintain the sort of level five behaviour, if you like, but have the shops and the cafes and the and the restaurants open, that would be fantastic. Because it's really how we behave with our, our nearest and dearest, that, that seems to have made the difference. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's very tough, you know, I'm not saying that's easy. Yeah. But it might keep, keep things a bit more balanced in terms of businesses actually being able to survive this
1: as well. well. Well, that seems to be the very significant number that most of the case clusters, the smaller clusters of two, three and four cases that we've seen, have come from houses private yeah. family homes
11: yeah now they obviously the people who brought them into the home have got it somewhere mm. um, but
1: you they know, could have got it in someone else's home
11: yeah exactly so you know it's you know it, it's it's something that we have to be aware of with the ones that we love and that we're close to and with our friends and they're the people that we let our guards down with because we trust them But the virus doesn't care. The virus is just looking for a new host and somewhere to move on. So just because we love somebody doesn't mean that we won't give them COVID. Um, And and it's not something that we do deliberately. But we do tend to to let our guard down when we're in in the domestic situation. So I think, you know, and it's easy to say, but, you know, it'll be hard for people to to continue that behavior once Level 5 is lifted.
1: Seven weeks today is Christmas Eve. And a lot of people that I've been talking to myself, just in my own circle, they're saying, right, look, this is hard. This is very tough, this level five stuff. But you know what? If we buckle down and hold out for another three or four weeks and take it on the chin, will we be able to have a nice little Christmas celebration with the family like we do every other year? Is that a prospect, Neve? Wouldn't
11: it be great? I honestly don't know. I mean, I suppose Tony Holland and his experts would be the ones that will make the ultimate sort of um, judgment call on that. What I do think will happen is that people may end up saying, look, I've done my bit and I'm going to spend time with my loved ones and we may have to brace ourselves for a little bit of a blip then in early january as as the consequences of that emerge uh, if there is still a significant level of covid in the community like the the uh, rate per 100,000 in cork South central is still 480 yeah. so that's quite high that's very um high. Yeah. but you know that that may that may come down significantly in the next two weeks um, and and we have four more weeks of lockdown to go so you know, it kind of all depends really on, on how we do as a, as a society and communities um, as to whether we, we will have the kind of Christmas that we're used to. Here's as a WhatsApp can...
1: message that's come in, Neve, and I've seen a couple of these. Neffert and the government repeatedly say any change in lockdowns and levels won't impact on COVID for 10 to 14 days. I think that's been well acknowledged. Doesn't this show they jumped the gun and that level three was actually working if they gave it the time required?
11: I would respectfully disagree with that in terms of the fact that the numbers had levelled off, um, but they hadn't started to fall. So I think what you see then, as people, you know, we all knew about a week in advance of level five kicking in that it was coming, and I think it sort of it it made people sit up and say, actually, I really need to reassess what I'm doing and who I'm interacting with and whose house I'm going into. and things like that, so that you almost had a, a merging of Level 5 and Level 3 in that week before Level 5, and I think that's why you're seeing the the really good drop in numbers in the past week. Um, so, yes, Level 3 was, was holding the ship steady, um, but it wasn't, it wasn't turning it around.
1: Yeah. Of course, it's tough. I mean, I was talking to a, an old pal of mine yesterday, um, a bit older than myself now, but a family man just like me, And he said, you know, this is really bothering me this time. It's bothering me a lot more than it did the last time. On Sunday, we do things as a family. And the thing we do as a family, we can't do. And it's getting to me because I work six days a week and it's getting hard.
11: Yeah, it's very hard. I mean, I'm finding it hard. My children are finding it hard. My parents are finding it hard. Every single family in Cork is finding this hard. And, you know, I think it would be great if we could say, okay, Christmas is the prize. Let's aim for Christmas. You know, we're in a really horrible time of year. The days are so short. The weather is so bad. You know, mm. it's very, very hard for people. And I think if we if we could feel that there was, you know, a sort of a, a prize at the end, you know, mm. sort of a graduation present if you like, that would be fantastic. And i think maybe we have to start thinking like that but there's no doubt this is having a really massive toll on people's mental health um and you know that's something there's people far more clever than i who are, are studying that as well mm. um and you know there will be a lot of pieces to pick up after this pandemic that are not just covid19 related but mm. um you know our priority is this winter is is you know, to, to, to get through it and, and really keep the health system going and keep the non-COVID stuff going and make sure that people who have cancers and other illnesses that need attention can get it and that we don't get swamped with yeah. COVID.
1: And hopefully this, this few weeks, this hard few weeks will help us keep that under control um, in, the, in the medium to long term. Niamh, thank you very much. That's Niamh Lynch, paediatrician at the Bonds, who's been a regular correspondent with the opinion line right throughout uh, this pandemic. Four weeks left in level five, already the pressure is coming on, on Nefert and on the Taoiseach to to ease off early. Why would you do that? We eased off early in the summer. We eased off really quickly. We had a plan. I remember reading the plan here, this studio. I remember reading the original plan: that'll that open, then that'll open, then that'll open, then that, and then Leo got overexcited and lost the run of himself. And said, actually, no, we're going to open all them now today. And we should have learned from that folly in the first place. Now, then you get the message, it's not going down. Because a lot of the testing centres are closed. Please stop trying to fool us. That's a Trump voter anyway. The minister responsible for the Tidy Towns competition, Heather Humphreys, has said it will definitely go ahead in 2021. Which, I suppose, is the first confirmation that something actually will happen in 2021. She says the Tidy Towns competition will go ahead as normal despite COVID-19 in 2021. Which is good news, I guess, for every activist involved in Tidy Town up and down the country. Because when you get stuck in it, it becomes part of you. And it takes you over like an obsession. As it did a couple of years ago, with our Lord Mayor, Councillor Joe Cavanaugh. Joe, good morning to you.
10: Good morning, PJ. How are you, you this morning?
1: I'm great. You started one, yourself and a couple of mates, started one around St Luke's and Mayfield, didn't yeah.
10: you? Yeah, in May 2017, PJ, um, uh, I, I realised, and you know, I've been talking to a couple of people, and there was no tidy towns group in our area, in the northeast area of the city, and, you know, um, there was a lot of complaints about littering and dog fouling and all the usual stuff and I said look what we're going to do is we're going to plant some flowers we're going to take you the place up I'm going down like Saturday morning to St Luke's I rang a buddy of mine um, and uh, we went down to St Luke's and we planted. we got some uh, wooden boxes from uh, Churchfield Trust and I went away and for the first two years I paid for the Myself, like obviously, um, moss peat and flowers and all that kind of stuff, and we planted some flowers down in St. Luke's and it kind of escalated from there. Now we have a membership there, Mayfield St. Luke's Tidy Towns Group, of over 30 people. Now we get about maybe 10 or 15 going out, hmm. uh, every second Saturday. Can when you we still got...
1: go out at the moment? Or...
10: No, 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 PJ, uh, health and safety, uh, and I'm very uh, mindful of the health and safety of our volunteers, number one and uh, number two of the people that we might uh, interact, and, of course, their families. I would have thought, um, though,
1: Joe, as, a, as an open-air activity, it's yeah. the perfect opportunity to socially exist I mean, you don't need a crowd around you digging up flowers.
10: Um, well, you'd be surprised because we have we, we, we operate on a few different flower beds around the around the area, and you could have two people working on the flower bed, and then somebody comes along talking to you.
1: Yes, uh, yes
10: and you know before you're, you know it's
1: are three or four yeah, yeah
10: yeah you're interacting with people then and you're creating you're creating a potential for interaction with people and I suppose it's only a few weeks PJ and we're trying to the, the key factor here and you mentioned to yourself uh, earlier uh, when I was listening to you uh, about cutting our social contact as much as we can just for the next three or four weeks and yeah. it can make a huge difference you know um, but the Tidy Towns as a concept is fantastic because we set it up in a WhatsApp group, PJ, and most of the members, the volunteers that we have in the Maple St. Luke's Tidy Towns group, uh, none of them would have really known each other prior to that. Now they're great friends. Yeah. And you hear them tick-tacking with each other, so it's more of a social thing, as well as doing something good for the local community, uh, beautifying the, the local community as best you can, and doing the best you can for your local area. It, um, it makes you feel that you're contributing on a really positive basis, and the amount of people and the goodwill towards every tidy towns group, and not just the Maple St Luke's tidy towns group. There's fantastic tidy towns group up in Bishopstown. There's one in Toker.
1: Uh, obviously, you have about how many do we have? We've I know we've one in Douglas, right? live as well. Uh, yeah, but how many do yeah, we there's have a very good one in Douglas as well. How many uh, groups Bishop,
10: do we have? Balancholic PJ, it's mm. a very good tidy they will be national champions. I mean yeah, the, Kerry like, they're full time professionals. Mm.
1: <laughs> yeah. Mm.
10: And also Clanmire, um Sallybrook area as well, are magnificent um tidy towns group down there as well. So right across the city and um, Shandon there's another Group there to quote. and do you know what? It's starting to get a little bit of traction across the city. And uh, just just to just to mention as well, PJ, as part of my morality, um, we're starting up. I'm driving a campaign which will be starting. It's, it's actually just kick starting at the moment um, for the coming months. Uh, it's it's a cork against litter campaign. Okay, and uh, obviously, part, tidy towns is going to be part of that. Uh, cork City Council, and obviously, we'll be. Uh, leaning heavily on you guys as the local media... Mm-hmm. and uh, for publicity and for assistance and for ideas and so on and help um, it, because obviously it'll involve community so it'll obviously involve 96FM and um, we're, we're, we're looking at um, create, raising awareness on the scourge of litter of all kinds right across our communities right across our city, engaging with community associations, engaging with schools, engaging with tidy towns groups, hopefully setting up some new tidy towns groups across the city and I suppose embrace the goodwill of the people of Cork, and there's so much of it out there, PJ. It just needs to be harnessed and uh, supported, I suppose, by the likes of your good selves and ourselves here in City Hall, you know.
1: How much of how much will it be welcomed, uh, the announcement by Minister Humphreys, that it'll definitely go ahead next year at Tidy Towns?
10: Well, I think it'll be welcomed with open arms, PJ. I mean, there's nothing but goodwill towards every Tidy Towns group right across the country. Um, I mean, you look at, um, you're going to, I mean, if you drive around the country, PJ, and you go into little towns and villages and you might see little signs up, uh, flower beds maintained by such and such a tidy towns group and so on. And the work that's done, because local authorities can do so much. But, um, you know, if there's an issue in an area and um, generally you'll get the answer to the problem. First of all, you'll be told about the problem. And secondly, you'll get the answer from the problem with the people who live there. Yeah. And if you can empower local community to look after their local area and help them to look after their local area, on, it's all done on a voluntary basis. The Tidy Towns Group are not professionals and sponsored by Supervalue and so on. So um, if there's nothing but goodwill, when I go out on a Saturday PJ, people come up to us and you know, they say, listen, this is fantastic to see and they really do appreciate the fact that the litter is being picked up or the flower beds are being enhanced and mm. all that kind of stuff, you know, because mm. it, it, it's a positive good news story for every community, not just in Cork, but right across the country. And I think this is a, this is a really positive initiative by the Minister mm. and it's something that really had to go ahead, PJ, yeah. you know.
1: Quick question coming in here. Where did you put flower beds in, in Mayfield? What estates?
10: Uh, not estates, PJ. We, we stick to the public realm. On the main road... Um, thereby, uh, we put flower beds along by Cuhain's Funeral Home on Ollial Road.
5: Right,
1: there's
10: about four or five flower beds there to put a trees. Um, we also uh, planted um, hundreds and hundreds of daffodil bulbs in various locations. Uh, at the foot of trees uh, around the area, so when they do flower, you'll see them coming up around the area uh, yeah. down around on Colum Kill Avenue, um, and also down from the Old Bank Cafe um, along the the wall there. Were you, respons- the were you
1: responsible for the daffodils that come up the up the, the the steep hill there from Silver Springs?
10: Silver Springs, yeah, we planted loads of bulbs there as well. Yeah,
1: that's gorgeous in springtime. That's magnificent in springtime, it is. Well,
10: we just stick them in the ground, PJ, and they keep coming up. Yeah. (laughs) It's It's no rocket science, because... Be quite frank and honest with you. I'm not a horticulturist in any shape or form. I just go around. I carry the bag or I carry the shovel, and my role is purely I'm the executive gopher. I go for this and I go for
1: that. <laughs> that's kind of, that's kind of the day job as well, Joe. At the moment, <laughs> it's, a,
10: it's a bit like that, TJ. Except I wear a suit for the day job and it's yeah. jeans and a sweatshirt for the for the Saturday morning. <laughs>
1: can I can I just ask you one question, Lord Mayor? I suppose in your official yeah. capacity, yeah. put on your put on your Lord Mayor's chain there for a second. How do you think we're dealing as a city? Lord Mayor, we've tough. It's tough times. We four weeks more of lockdown. Then we're hoping to get a successful Christmas out of it for business and for family and for everything else. How do you think we're we're handling it?
10: Well, look, it's difficult for everybody. PJ, none more so than the the business community in our city, um, who have had taken several hits. And 2020 has been a terrible year. Everybody would like to take out about the tiffs and. Delete 2020 from the calendar because it has been bad. One bad news story after another between floods and between. And I know you were talking about that earlier, and and the COVID. But the people of Cork are very resilient. In fairness, and I, Cork Cork for much of the year was doing so well. Mm. In fairness, and we were up at the top of the tree in terms of keeping our numbers down. Uh, we did stray a little um, and had to be escalated to level three uh, in quarter three of the year. And uh, that was a, a, a nationwide thingy, really, I think, you know. Um, but look, we're after getting, that was the second spike. But I think we're back on track again. And you you mentioned yourself earlier, PJ, where there's a, there's a trend now uh, heading in the right direction in, in, in the last week or so. Yeah. So I, I would appeal to everybody. The key here and the secret, PJ, I think, is to continually, as much as you possibly can, cut your social contacts as best you can yeah. and the less people we interact with and that, that goes back to your first question to me about tidy towns, we cut our social contact, and we're leading from the front and I like, I think, I'd like to think I'm leading from the front as well by trying to cut social contacts as much as possible. Okay. and the less people you interact with on a day-to-day basis. And please, God, we'll have a good Christmas. And by the time we get to early December, we'll be able to open up and, and have a good Christmas and a family Christmas, which is the way we do it every year, PJ, you know, which is critically important at the end of a very difficult year.
1: Indeed. And we'll talk uh, again, you and I, between now and then. That's our Lord Mayor, uh, Councillor Joe Kavanagh, 185715996. So tidy towns back next year. There's one bit of positivity out of it, at least. Uh, where oh, on the floods, Tom Barry said they're investing millions in Docklands at the moment. The City Wall Project, the OPW solution, will do nothing to save them from floods. The only proposal I can see that works is for in for all areas is the Safe Cork City project. You also have to think of places like Glenmire and Carrigaline. Line. On Logo O'Callaghan, I spoke earlier on this morning with uh, A. Quinn Livin, who has written a book about the forgotten Lord Mayor, as he describes him, Logo Callaghan, 1920-24. to 24. He was the third Republican Lord Mayor in the year of McSweeney and McCartan. He was the fourth Lord Mayor for the city, but the third Republican. And uh, A. Quinn Levin has written a book about him, and it's out this week. And it's out, in fact, yesterday was the 100th anniversary of his becoming the Lord Mayor Of Cork. No one remembers O'Callaghan, says Mark in Bantry. No one remembers O'Callaghan because he wasn't martyred and no one cares. That's not very nice, Mark. Uh, logo O'Callaghan, says Brian. logo O'Callaghan was born in Factory Lane, which is where Peacock Lane by the Neptune Stadium ends up in Church Lane. There you go. The other two were from Mallow and the Marsh. So he was the youngest of the three Republican mayors and the only nori so he's our claim to fame says Brian Gould 1850 715 996 and a couple of messages about bullies Terry can I get you to print that longer one for me so I can read it in one go uh, just in response to our earlier call yesterday, this morning about the new, the new survey, the new study on bullies and cyberbullying and youngsters uh, get to one or two of them in a minute <laughs>
3: The Quartz 96 FM Music Panel gives you the power to pick our playlist. Click 96fm.ie now. 96fm.ie now. I've the power. Take the 10 minute survey
0: and you could win a 100 euro shopping voucher. The
3: power to pick what we play.
0: Pick what we play. I've the power. Join the Quartz 96 FM Music Panel. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Find
3: the link on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. I've the power. Or see 96fm.ie. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show, The Opinion Line, with PJ Coogan. Call
0: us now, 1850-715-996. On
3: Cork's 96FM.
1: So we spoke earlier on this morning with Professor James O'Higgins Norman, who's the director of the National Anti-Bullying Research and Resource Centre. And he, we were discussing new findings that they've had that say the majority of children who are cyberbullied are targeted by somebody that they know from school and not by a stranger. And I guess it's something we've kind of always known, but now they've got research and data to back it up. And we're discussing that ...with a Professor O'Higgins Norman for a few minutes in the first hour... ...and I asked people about their experience with bullying... ...either in the past or of late. I can't come on air, but yes, I was bullied at school 50 years ago. I stayed out of school many times to avoid it. I never told my parents. I wish I had. It stays with me to this day. It affected my whole life. I failed my exams in secondary school over it, that's sad to hear and then I got this one, morning PJ please keep this anonymous my son was very badly bullied last year in secondary school very little of it happened in school, most of it was on Snapchat my son's persecutor was actually a friend of his I'm very careful with the amount of access he has to his phone but as soon as he was on, the bully could see he was on and jumped in to continue the torment To be fair, the school have been extremely supportive. But as most of it occurred out of school hours, they were very restricted in what they could actually do. I felt like I was punishing my son when I was having to take his phone away. He hadn't done anything wrong, but he was the one having his privileges removed. The messages were disgusting, and the taunts were often of a sexual nature, taunting my son about his sexuality. The problem is most classes have Snapchat groups, which they access for homework, etc. So it was hard for him then to communicate with his classmates. I saved and I printed off all the messages so I could have them to keep and I have reams of them. The parents of this child were contacted but refused to see what was in front of their eyes. I've never felt so helpless and the hurt and anxiety he's caused my son is just unbelievable. My son was afraid to go to school, afraid to go on the PlayStation, afraid to go online at all. The school have separated them as much as possible and are supporting him through the various staff members. Things are marginally better, but there's a long worrying road ahead to get his confidence back. It wasn't this bad when we were in school. Uh, there's a particular bit there that bothers me. It bothers me a lot. Is that according to this emailer, they saved the messages and printed the messages and have reams of them and they did what any one of us would think of doing. They confronted the bully's parents and they said, here, take a look at that. That's what your son is doing to mine. And it was brushed off. They just weren't willing to even countenance it. And you have to ask yourself, what is wrong with a parent who would do that? If you're presented with evidence, like there's printouts of what your son is doing to my son or your daughter is doing to my daughter. Do you see that? Do you see what's written there? Do you see what they're saying to her? What are you going to do about it? What's going on in a parent that would ignore that? Because according to this message, they were shown the message, they were shown the taunts, they were shown the bullying, they were shown printouts and screenshots and just weren't even willing to see what was going on in front of their eyes. That's common, I suspect. Unfortunately so. The Opinion
3: Line with PJ
1: Coogan on Courts 96 FM. John forgot to tell you earlier on this morning, today is one of my favourite days of the year. It's an excuse, actually, to indulge in something that I shouldn't. Today's National Donut Day. <laughs> Some donuts will be purchased on the way home. 1850-715-996 is the number. The text to WhatsApp 83 396 Email opinion at 96 ie. Twitter is at opinionline96 with the hashtag OL96. And of course Cork's 96 m Facebook page always available. Uh, around the clock, but just mar- mark your messages, if you would, please, for the attention of the opinion line. Also coming up before we finish today, the new Ireland kit is going to be a big seller. The new Ireland soccer kit will be a huge seller for Christmas. There's an interesting reason why, a very interesting reason why, There's something won't be on it that is normally on a big Ireland, new Ireland kit. And when it's not on it, they become collector's items. So even before it's out of the shops or in the shops it's a collector's item. We'll find out more about that a little bit later on. But first of all, now we're not going to name the school Andrea which is fine. Something a bit upsetting I think you're saying about your your youngsters school, is that right? Good morning.
12: Hi PJ how are you? Yeah so yesterday we received a letter from my daughter's school stating that with immediate effect that they're losing a teacher in school. Wow. So it's affecting my daughter's class. So it's a desh school. So they they have sixteen. They have two classes, like two classes of sixteen. So the class is now going to double in size to sixty to thirty-two. And um, there's going to be six pods in the class instead of three. And um, there's going to be approximately a metre of social distancing between them. But like we we don't know that for certain.
1: Did, did, did they tell you why the teachers being lost?
12: Because they had, as the 30th of September of this year, they had they didn't have the allocation for the pupils to to, ha- to the teachers to remain.
1: But, but so, I mean, so this this change was made after the schools went back.
12: Yes, exactly.
1: That seems a bit daft.
12: It does, and in the middle of a pandemic, we already had a case of COVID in our ch- in the child's classroom. Right. So a whole pod was out within that classroom for a period of two weeks. Now they're doubling the class size to 32 and potentially putting it, uh, putting our children at a higher risk.
1: And presumably they're not putting them in the same space, are they? Are they moving them to a, big, a bigger room at all, no?
12: She said the classroom is approximately uh, 44 metres squared is what what we were told yesterday when we rang the school about it. Right. right. So it's still 32 pupils a four four meters squared like and the teacher inside the classroom in six in six um in six pods that's supposed to social distance mm. that's not going to be it's not going to be sufficient.
1: How do the pods I'm glad to have someone on the phone now who whose child is in a pod system. How does the pod system actually work?
12: Well if you have five at the moment my daughter is in a pod of six. Right. Nice. So she could only sit within that pod, eat her lunch with that pod and play with that pod out in the yard. Right. If someone in that pod uh, tests positive for COVID-19, then the whole pod has to go out and restrict their movements for two weeks and get tested for COVID-19.
1: Right. And was it your daughter's pod was affected the last no, time?
12: No, it wasn't the last time, no. Thank goodness. But that's not mean to say that it won't be the next time. Yeah. You know, it's 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 not fair. In a, in a, in a day when... In the middle of a pandemic, to lose a teacher in the middle of the school year, what we're more upset about is that we, that we only found out about it yesterday and that it's affecting us immediately.
1: Yeah, that's, that's then, a strange one, isn't it? That, that, you yeah. know, these, de- these decisions are usually made before the term starts, exactly. not and in the middle of a term.
12: So, like, our children were out of school for six months, and then they, it, took, it took them a while to settle back. They went back into a different teacher to what they left back in March. It took them a while to settle back into school. I know it took my daughter a lot longer than what it took other kids. It's just one of those things. She'd face anxiety separation and stuff like that family me. From, after being at home for so long, mm-hmm. she's only nine. And then now to be disrupted in the middle of the school year, after they come back after midterm again, and to be told, oh, you we're doubling your class in size, they're going to be 32 of you and your teacher is moving. I mean, how does it register with her?
1: No, how does it register? I mean I sh- oh, she I, I,
12: came home yesterday so upset. She was very, very upset. She was roaring crying. She was um she was just she was devastated. She didn't she was just after getting used to the teacher that she had and she actually and she liked her and you know if I, it's I, that I just, teacher. No, that teacher is moving to another class and uh the teacher of another class is actually being let go. I see. I see. Like I think I know that I I rang the appeals board from the Department of Education this morning and um I got absolutely no satisfaction off them whatsoever. They told me that the decision is final and there's absolutely nothing that we can do and that's it. Right. Um I said, but well, how can you justify it in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of a school year, taking a teacher away from them in the middle of a school year? Oh, it's just the way it works, she said. No satisfaction. I have emailed Miha Martin, I have emailed Simon Coveney, I have emailed Donna O'Leary I have uh, contacted. I have, I have emailed them all. I I've emailed the Minister for Education. I yeah. I've, I did it all last night. I was hours last night trying to find people. I contacted Councillor John Marr. He was very good. He responded back to me straight away, and he said he could answer the spokesperson for, for uh, Education with the Labour Party. I just don't know what to do. Yeah. I think it's an absolute disgrace. I think that if we take this line down, then like it could, like it's going to be happening to other schools around the area. But why disrupt the children after a pandemic? after we not in school for six months in the yeah. middle of a school year? It's an absolute outrage. It's very, very
1: unfair. You'd be wondering, wouldn't you, when you're writing all them emails and probably missing your favourite television show to do it? You know that you when sit- you should be sitting down in front of the fire watching the telly, and you're writing emails to all and sundry. Isn't it a bit unfair that you'd be doing that for something that just seems common sense? You know, don't be taking away children, or don't be taking away teachers in the middle of a pandemic, and don't be taking them away in the middle of school years. It, it just seems like. So- such simple. It must be very frustrated like writing weird. all them emails.
12: I'm very frustrated about it. And then on top of it, I'm saying that teacher is going to be out of a job. That teacher is going to be out of work when there's hundreds people the who of people out of work. No, I don't. I don't know the teacher personally. that's been let go. But it, it, it doesn't matter whether I know her or not. That's another. Like that's another teacher being let go. That has to sign on or that has to look for work and look look for yeah. a temporary position and. In the middle of a school year, I just think it's an outrage. I'm sorry, I'm just, I'm absolutely fuming over it. I really, really. No, no, am. I can see, I can
1: see why. Apart from the apart from the change to the children's layout with the pods and more pods into a small space, that that's one worrying thing. The second one is most of these decisions are supposed to be made before the school year starts, so you're feeling, you know, that's not good news to get. And imagine this misfortunate teacher then in the middle of its in the middle of a term. Discovering they've no job.
12: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I just don't know what to do. I think, PJ, I think it has it, to, I it has to, have. Did anybody get back to you of all
1: these emails you've written?
12: Um, I got a, a, I got an email, a generic email back from the Minister of Education. Um, I got a generic email back from the Minister of Education. Um, just saying that, um, that they're looking into that they're looking into it. A generic back, an email back from the T office. A generic email back from uh, Simon Covey, basically right. telling me that he's just the minister for foreign affairs, and like unless it's if it's in his constituency, then he thing. But it's not in his con- constituency. Um, um, the minister for education, their email just gave me a reference number and said the minister for education, Mr. Norma Foley TD, has asked me to acknowledge receipt of your email in relation to losing a teacher. And inquiries are being made of this matter, and a further will issue, letter will issue as soon as possible. They're not going. To, I don't think they're going to do much. Like, I, like I Do, ran you, the do you really think she and, rang
1: your email and said, respond to no, her"? No, I
12: don't. No, I think
1: it was just generic. I was was your, sent it's going. just a generic one, yeah. She she didn't yeah. read your email and said, "Oh, you better respond to her." No, she'll be on to PJ. No, no. And oh no, but, it, was, it was generic.
12: I know it was, and yeah. the same. None of them. None of them got back. Yeah. I rang the appeals board this morning for the Department of Education. And the woman told me, basically, in so many words, like, tough. We just have to deal with it and get on with it. It's not yeah. our problem. The decision is final. That's it.
1: The decision is final.
12: Yeah. 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 You know, it's very, very frustrating. I can't yeah, imagine you're
1: difficult. the only one that has had this happen, Andrea.
12: I doubt it. I'd say there's more schools there. And I think it needs to be highlighted, PJ. Like, in the middle of a school year to move the children, mm. after being... To offset them and to move them is... It's but one I two, also two, thought... they have to be low for six months. Uh,
1: I also thought that, you know, in a desh school, these things aren't supposed to happen. A desh school is supposed to have extra well. resources anyway, isn't it? Though?
12: That's what I thought as well, PJ. Yeah.
1: Seems a bit off, doesn't
12: it? Yep, that's what I thought as well. I just think it's very... I think it's very wrong what's happening, and I, I, I just... Um, I don't know. I don't know if there's, there's not... I'm trying to do something about it, but I don't think there's any. I don't think I'll get anywhere.
1: Well, you're making a bit of noise about it, and fair play to you. Uh, and I think a lot of other people will say, you know, well, fair play to her for at least highlighting it. You know,
12: well, I think might, you nothing, think nothing you might happen, but at least you tried. You know, that's that's what I felt. That's what I said to my my daughter this morning, trying to explain to her, and I said, look, I said, Mia, I can't guarantee. I said that. I said I can't guarantee that things are going to be that things are going to go back to the way they are. I said, look, I said, but I said, I want you to know that I am trying to see if I can, if we can change this. But I said, if we can't, at least you know that we did our best to try.
1: And that's important. Because
12: I don't want her thinking, I don't want her thinking that we just sat back and took it and just, you know, and just did nothing about it and just left it happen. Yeah. Because this could happen again next year. It could happen to another school in the morning. It needs to be highlighted. It needs things. think they're always on about in every single in every single election that comes up they're all about class sizes and about the class sizes of thing and allocation of teachers and everything else and then they do this in the middle of a school year
7: to a school yeah.
1: Yeah. I don't think you're the only one at all who's shocked by these kind of things happening And and but you are making noise about it and one thing you're teaching nine you said she is one thing you're She's teaching nine, nine. her is, is don't take something you perceive to be wrong don't take it lying down and that's a great life lesson you're giving to her
12: yeah, well, PJ, I wouldn't be normally speaking out. I don't. I don't tend to speak out, and but I got very, very annoyed over this last night, and I was just absolutely human. Sure when I think that it needs to be highlighted, it needs to be said out, because there's going to be more schools to think, and the more people that speak out about things like this, the less, it, the less it's likely to happen in the future.
1: Okay. All right, listen, thank you for the call, Andrea. Uh, and well done. She set up last night emailing the minister, emailing the T-shirt, emailing another minister, emailing councillors, got on to the Department of Education this morning where they told her, look, the decision, these decisions are final, can nothing to do with us. And now she's on the radio to me because what happened was a teacher has been laid off by her daughter's school or from her daughter's school because they don't have the numbers now to support that teacher. And all of the pods, so what was a three-pod class, it'll now be a six-pod class in the middle of a pandemic In the middle of level 5 You kind of wonder what bit of that makes any sense Thanks Andrea 1850
5: Question number 10 Which male name is the title to the debut album Released by Amy Winehouse
1: Oh my god I know this um, Frank
5: You have just won 2000
7: No way
2: Thanks so much,
10: lad. Heather, congratulations. Oh,
13: lad, thanks so much. You've made my weekend.
10: Our right. latest big winner, Heather Barry
3: from Colbert, just won 2,000 euros. Another winner. There you go. Go, By go. two grand minute, listen to play at 7.40 and 8.40 every day. Casey and Ross in the morning on Cork's 96 FM. This is Cork's. Gold, Imro award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 83 396 96, 96 On Courts 96
1: FM. Interesting call there in response to Andrea. And I expect she's not the only mom feeling a bit put out by arrangements in schools since the youngsters went back. Her daughter is nine, teachers Uh, The school has lost a teacher, they found out yesterday. So the class of three pods is now a class of six pods in roughly the same space. They've already had one pod go down with a case of COVID-19. Everyone had to do two weeks out because of being a close contact. Now they're going to have six pods in the place where they'd have only three. And then we got a call to say there's no actual pods, you know, because there's no perspex in the classrooms just a small distance between the groups. There's no real enforcement of kids keeping to the same six in playgrounds either, or in the lunchroom. It's all bull. If one child gets it, almost every kid in the classroom is guaranteed to be exposed, and it's just up to their immune system and their ventilation after that. And by the way, classes of 32 are sadly not uncommon. The Perspect, you know what, anyone who even had a half a Perspects business at the start of this pandemic, their next holiday will be six weeks in Barbados when all of this is over, because the Perspex man is making an absolute, or woman, excuse me, is making an absolute fortune out of the pandemic. It's an ill will that blows nobody any good. 185715996 is the number of the text or WhatsApp 083 396 96, 96. Again, touching on the subject of mental health, and it has been known as the second pandemic. It's been known as the the, the epidemic. We mustn't forget. I mentioned yesterday meeting, meeting a, an old buddy of mine, and who said he's struggling with his mental health throughout this second lockdown. He's a guy with a successful business, but he's just struggling because he doesn't get to do what he loves to do with his family because of the restrictions of of Level 5, we were chatting about that. And we've talked as well during the summer in particular with farmers about their mental health and farming organisations about their mental health because farming can be a lonely old pursuit. And if you haven't got a family around you, and you haven't got kids or whatever, you know, it can be lonely and desolate. And farmers' mental health is, is another topic of conversation that comes up from time to time. And a good friend of the show, Peter Hines, is an activist in that in, the, in that area. Peter good morning Good morning PJ and Mental Health Week for Farmers in 2021 is in the planning stages as we speak
14: Yeah we, uh, it was something myself and Paula discussed um, in early September there uh, about running an Ag Mental Health Week in October of 2020 and it was just something we believed in and something that was greatly needed to open up a global conversation because I always believed that we're Uh, the strength in numbers and and, and by standing together on such an important topic that we could uh, do a lot more to break down the stigma. Uh, So we we ran the week from the 10th to the 16th of October 2020 uh, and it snowballed very quickly into our global conversations. So we've gone straight from that into plans for the 2020 one week uh, and how we can grow it more as a I, I suppose, as some of the media sources have said, a global movement, and uh, it's nice to see it having started in Cork, at least.
1: Because it's funny; it's only when you start talking about it you you realise just how lonely and difficult now life it can be as a farmer. I mean, you, you're you're a family man, and 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 you know, but there's not there's not a lot of single lonely farmers out there. Yeah,
14: I think that you know myself and Paul are very lucky that we farm together full time, and we've the girls around us too, so we're able to support each other in times uh, of stress. But uh, likewise, a lot of farms it does it's just one person running the operation, and does um, does I suppose less and less communication with the outside world, and it can become a very lonely place. And let's be honest, it's it can it, it's a, a One of the best jobs in the world, but it can be a highly stressful job because if global markets crash, then the farm income on the farm depletes very quickly. Likewise, we are always impacted by major weather events. Um, And I think now more than ever, uh, with the the conversation on sustainable farming, and it's probably one of the hottest topics when you watch farming in the media uh, over the last couple of years, I think... We as an industry uh, and uh, those who tell us how to farm have forgotten to discuss sustainable living within that conversation because at the end of the day, no matter where you look in the world, the st- st- statistics are frightening in uh, suicide and agriculture and uh, they're a lot higher than any other industry. But if we do, don't do we know operate, why, Peter? I guess it's a lot to do with isolation um and like I said, weather events and global markets, if you look at 2016, uh, the price of milk was very low and it greatly impacted on French farmers especially. Um, and there was over 800 farmers lost in France to suicide that year. Wow. Um which i think we as an industry to say that that went slightly under the radar we should never let something like that happen again i mean that's an absolute crisis uh, yeah. for any any country and as farmers we need to stand together but i think we need to give the public a better understanding too of of, of the pressures that we're under the need to gr- produce great quality food but that's coming at a, 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 an even lower price from year to year yeah. um, and I, I think you do see the agriculture can get uh, a lot of bad press at times um, over emissions and stuff and and I actually had a great conversation with a, a radio presenter in the US there during Ag Mental Health Week and the point I made to him is if you're a farmer and you're looking at the the media and and, and stuff from year to year and, and some of the TV programs go that go on, it's like being a student in a classroom where the teachers are constantly telling you you're doing it wrong, you're doing it wrong. This is wrong, that's wrong. And that does impact greatly on farmers from the perspective that we have a passion for looking after animals producing great quality food yet the broader industry is telling us what we're doing wrong instead of saying well look guys. a lot of this stuff is great but we need to work together to improve these aspects Uh, and I think that would be a better view from a sustainable living and sustainable farming Do you feel you Uh, come
1: under a bit of unfair pressure from certain climate change and environmental activists Peter?
14: Uh, I would say uh, definitely, without doubt. Um, And unfortunately, look, PJ, the reality is that we probably don't have uh, enough facts to back up how well we do farm. If you look at, I suppose, and we've had this conversation before, both of us on the radio, about carbon sequestration from from grass and and, and trees and hedgerows. Our farm here, for example, is probably very close to... Uh, carbon zero uh, and I would say the opportunity is there in the future for us to sell carbon credits but we have no fact-based research to prove that that is where we are so yeah. if, if you look at year to year we're being told Irish agriculture produces 34% of emissions well I can't counteract that because they don't have the solid data to tell tell you or any other yeah. media source otherwise. Um, but likewise, I think Brexit now is uh, a No Deal Brexit, and I've I've had this conversation. I actually interviewed the the National Farmers Union president, Manette Batters, uh, from the UK on Ag Mental Health Week, and I think Brexit, a, a No Deal Brexit, is has the potential. Uh, to, for more farmers to be lost to suicide in both countries, because uh, let's be clear, that's going to have a huge impact on on smaller smaller farm operations. And uh, if you look at wel- the w- Welsh farming there, it's uh, they produce a, a huge amount of, of lamb, and uh, and it's a real sheep uh, yeah. based farming system. And they can they could be left on the wayside in an ordeal situation. Crazy. And uh, I don't. I think politicians need to stand up and realise that there's a greater impact in the decisions that they are making, and these they are impacting real people and, and ultimately, yeah.
1: uh, potential loss of life. There's this kind of idyllic notion of of the farmer, isn't there, Peter, that he's out in the open air, in the best of it, um, healthy and ruddy complexion and full of the joys. But they don't see is what's going on inside his head: worried about prices, worried about his stock worried about Brexit, and those worries, they snowball, and, and they become a huge problem. And that's a shocking statistic from France that you just gave us there. 800 farmers took their own lives in a, in a year. How do you reach out to that lonely guy farming on his own up in County Galway?
14: Um, I suppose, look, it's a, it's a tricky one because... Uh uh, so many of us farmers are on social media, and likewise, uh, so many aren't. So, how how do you connect with those people? And uh, I think it was one of the ambitions we had with Ag Mental Health Week, uh, and which we have going forward, is myself and Paul have done numerous cha- bits of charity work, but we know so many phenomenal uh, support services in here and in the UK and across the, the globe. And we felt by creating a week of awareness, we could highlight the great work that they do and get their contact numbers out there. Um, and and it's actually one of the things that we're looking at with Ag Mental Health Week is that we will have a one-stop shop website with all the crisis contact numbers on it for, uh, so, so that farmers know, no matter where I am in the world, if I go to this website, I can find a number in my local area, 24-hour helpline, mm. Um but likewise, I think we as an industry can do a lot more, too, in that if if you look at it, we often think of the suicide prevention lines as the front line service for suicide prevention. When in actual fact, the milk lorry, uh, the feed lorry, the vet, they're actually the front line because they're in and out of these farms Week in, week out, the milk lorry's in twice a day, the feed lorry's maybe in a couple of times a month. Uh, and I firmly believe we should have the suicide prevention number, say for in Ireland, the Samaritans number, on the back of that. those vehicles. Uh, and I think many would like to do it, uh, but we need, it's something we need to do as an industry mm. together.
1: Is the there more input reason. needed from, say, the likes of IFA and ICMSA?
14: agree. Uh, It's something we should stand together on. There should be no political divide in this and uh, to be fair, the Department of Agriculture and Martin Hayden were very supportive of um, Ag Mental Health Week but uh, I suppose I I just feel on such a difficult subject that we have really failed as an industry to break down the stigma over the years. And these figures never really change.
1: Because when we did touch on this during the summer, Peter, the guy I had on, forgive me, I can't remember his name, but he did say that the biggest problem also, or another major problem with farmers, of its nature, they're quiet people, they don't talk yeah and I,
14: and i think we need to get back to the grassroots of young farmers if you if you look at farming in general there's a 50% chance that a farmer will struggle with their mental health at some stage in their career, we need to give young farmers coming into into the industry good training on mental well-being and how to prioritize themselves week in, week out, day in, day out, so that they eat well, sleep well, take time out from work. You can't work seven days a week. Nobody can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we actually related it to during like, mental health week to top performing athletes, which farmers very often don't see themselves as being performing athletes but we have huge physical demands huge uh,
1: stress demands on us Peter, most of most you uh, and your friends have got more work done by half past nine in a monday morning than i'll do on the whole week so the, the, you have my respect if there's anything this program can do anything to promote the cause of agricultural mental health and the week next year you know where we are
14: yeah, and I'll greatly appreciate that. And just just before you go, since Dag Mental Health Week, myself and Paula and Rachel Doyle have launched an Irish farming calendar All the revenue from the calendar is going to uh, two great charities in Ireland, to Choctaw for suicide prevention and to Embrace Farm, who support families who have lost someone in a farming accident or or through a suicide. Uh, So we'd greatly appreciate uh, if anyone was uh, interested in buying the calendar. It's full of wonderful farming. Images, uh, okay. but all the money that it, it generates is going to two phenomenal charities, okay.
1: and uh, I'll share the details with Fergal. Do, do when we'll we'll promote it through our social. Thank you, Peter, as always, and in regards to Paula and the family. That's Peter Hines, eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. There's a new Irish soccer kit being launched this week for the men and the women. The women have their own unique new soccer kit. I think it's for the first time they've actually had a uniquely designed uh, kit for the women. But here's the thing it's going to be a big sellout for Christmas for a particular reason. We'll find out next. Big Drive Home,
3: weekdays from four on Cork's 96FM.
11: Hey, it's Lorraine. Join me
3: on The Big Drive Home every weekday where I've got you sorted with the best music mix, the latest on Cork traffic and travel. I'll be testing out your music knowledge on the one
2: second song. And all thanks to toppers at Turner's Cross, I want to hook you up with free food on the takeover. So for that and more, I'll talk to you weekdays from
0: four.
3: The Big Drive Home. With Ford Lease,
0: takes. The hassle out of vehicle leasing. If you're a business, it's easy to budget with no unforeseen cost. Corks 96FM
3: This is Quartz Gold Imro Award Winning Talk Show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850
1: 715 996. On Corks 96FM There's a New Ireland soccer kit out uh, It's an unusual one in that it will be a collector's item and of course in the run-up to Christmas even with the sports shops closed at the moment in the run-up to Christmas it's bound to be a big seller it also is Umbro back with the Irish soccer team uh, for the first time in a while and just a good opportunity to talk to the chief designer uh, from Jack Sports and the MD is Jonathan Courtney Jonathan good morning to you Good morning, how are you? It's always an interesting time to be uh, bringing out a new kit and it's almost guaranteed to sell well for Christmas. But I've been saying to people that this initial one will be a bit of a collector's item for, for a particular reason. There's no big three on it. How's that happened?
5: Yes, uh, it's the first time since about 1990 actually that the, uh, the Ireland shirt won't have a sponsor on the front. So um, we've had huge interest in it and uh, the pre-sales... Which started last week uh, online on FAIshop.com have been absolutely phenomenal. So uh, the, it physically goes on sale today, although obviously the shops are closed, so a lot of people are uh, purchasing online.
1: Yeah, it, they, I remember the Aircom one and the three. They're, they're, like, how come there is no sponsor? Is it because we don't have a team sponsor at the moment, or what? Yeah, the there's,
5: there's a there's a kind of stopgap period here where um, three sponsorship has ended, and the FAI are actually looking for a new sponsor um, for for uh, a new a new title sponsor. If you like, so um, I'm sure somebody will come along eventually and, and, and get on, probably go on to the uh, training apparel and the, the travel product and all that sort of stuff. But whether they choose to take up the, uh, the space on the front of the shirt again is, uh, is another question because obviously it's been so popular, I mm-hmm. think, and so many fans have, uh, you know, and speaking about it online and through all the social media channels about how, how really they don't want to sponsor there in the first place. Yeah, it, it makes a it collector right item out of the shirt. Absolutely. Um, Well, I think it's it's certainly a novelty factor in terms of Irish shirts because we've always had that sponsor there since about 1990, so uh, a lot of fans don't want anything there Mm -hmm. and now it's their opportunity to get it, but it's selling so quickly that, uh, I mean, I I just advise people if they want one or they've always been somebody who's looked for a shirt without a sponsor, they get on that that pretty quickly.
1: How much work goes into designing a new uh, Ireland shirt? Like, How long did it take to get this one designed?
5: Um, you're, you're probably looking at it in around eighteen months is, is the start process. Um, eighteen months before it launches, so you'd start obviously with uh, directions and mood boards and uh, fabrication and all that sort of stuff. And obviously each of those then has to uh, t- you have to take the time to work with manufacturers to come up with new materials and to get the jerseys and the, and the material dyed up and, and, and see how it all looks. And you're looking at collar lines, you're looking at uh, aesthetics, and there's a, there's a lot more goes into it than people probably yeah. think. Sometimes people are quick to cast their opinion on something. They say, oh, it, either loads of thought went into that or no thought went into that. Um, but, I mean, that's that's the world we live in. That people don't see, uh, you know, the ins and outs and all, all the effort and time that goes into these things sometimes.
1: Yeah. Unusually as well, or is it unusual? Is it the first time you've done a specific Women's range.
5: A, a women's uh, kit. It's, it's Previously, we've had uh, women's jerseys available, but they've been in women's cut, and they've, been, they've replicated effectively what the men wear, and they've just done it in the ladies' sizes. So this time, we've actually done a bespoke uh, oh. home and away kit for the ladies as well, so the women's national team. So um, we, we've got a totally different design for both kits, so that makes them unique. And, you know, we're, we're obviously big, big fans of the 20 for 20, by Sport Ireland and the government so I'm delighted to give the ladies their own identity within the offices of the FAI obviously as well yeah yeah you know the way
1: shorts tend to hold their value for years but the unusual one now with no no logo on it that could be a collector's item framed on the side of a pub sometime with with team signatures on it but do these things go up in value like if I've got my old ones going back to the the 80s and Italian 90 are, are they worth money to me
5: yeah, the the um, there, there's a big uh, market now in terms of the likes of eBay or um, classic football shirts or any of these guys. Who, so if you want to go back and find something from from as you say the 80s or, or the 90s, you, you you could end up paying a couple of hundred quid for them. Um, but it's really it's like anything and um, that becomes collectible. It's it's the the rarer they are, the, the, the obviously the more value they are. So um, jerseys are obviously made in bigger numbers these days, um, so there's more likelihood around in the future. So um, I don't know whether the, the current uh, jerseys will go up in value, but, I mean, there's always somebody who's willing to pay. If you have a brand new one with, it, with tags on it and it's 25 years old, people are going to pay a couple of hundred quid for that.
1: How many would you expect to shift in a normal Christmas season? And I'm thinking about kids and adults because kids' sizes are there
5: too. Um, it, it actually, you know, a lot of it depends um, on how successful the team are being at any point in time. So yeah. if you qualify for a tournament, obviously you... Um, and because the, the jerseys it's more popular and people people want to get behind the team coming into a tournament and stuff like that so um, but Christmas obviously would always be uh would always give a bump to sales because uh Santa Claus and all that would, would likes to get a lot of jerseys out there to the kids yeah
1: yeah and of course kids always love to have the most up-to-date one
5: sure and um, i think that's that's part of the world we live in whether it's whether it's the latest video game or, or the latest uh, football shirt kids kids certainly uh Mm-hmm. On, on the, the newest and latest and greatest,
1: so it's it's out and it's available. F. A- F- what's what is it? where would Fai F- F- a- F- a- F- a- Shop
5: yeah, Fai Shop Fai You'll you, you'll find everything uh, there. And when and
1: the shops reopen, it'll be
5: there. You, well, we hope it'll be there because <laughs> it, we're selling so many online on the but, pre-sale over the last week that it's it's proved massively popular. But obviously, it should be in in shops in Elbury shops um, when when the when the stores reopen. Hopefully, on in and around. The I don't. And are there any sports shops doing click and collect? Do you know? Um, I'm not sure on that myself. To be perfectly honest with you, but we, as I as I said on online, we're we're delivering. You know, within Ireland, if you order today, you should have it within kind of 48 hours. So we're we're turning stuff around fairly quickly at the moment. So we're we're. That's the easiest.
1: Yeah, and of course get the get the order in for Santa and Santa can arrange the rest with FAI dot com. Very
5: good. Listen, that line
1: isn't great. Thanks for that, Jonathan Courtenay, he's the chief designer of the new Ireland short. Now there's a Cork story if ever I heard one. There used to be. Fergal asked me this morning, did I remember there being an Adidas factory in in Cork? There was. Um I was probably in school at the time, or maybe out of school. Andrew, you worked there, did you? I worked uh, Good morning um I
15: freelance uh no, I was um I think at the age of 15 um I started off his own kit as a hobby and uh, the work was noticed by a guy called Tony O'Sullivan.
7: Right.
15: Uh Tony O'Sullivan at the time was the Cork City Football uh, kit manager.
1: Right.
15: And he was also working uh for dealers in the Tramore Road and right. uh, he he noticed the work so he said this this these designs need
1: to be uh, seen. And so you were just he, were you just doodling yeah? Yeah, just doing yeah.
15: And how did you, yeah. how did you get in contact kind of with Tony? Tony was a family friend, and uh, he was going to the Cox City matches, and right. basically handed it over to the designs one day after a Cox City match. And Tony said, he said, uh, he had a production manager of needs to see these, uh, it was a woman called Brenda Russell. Right. Um And he set up an interview for one Wednesday, and it was actually a half day in the morning, so he cycled out after school with the designs in a number of backpack. Right. And Brenda came out and she said, You're quite cheeky. She <laughs> said, Arriving into an Adidas plant with a number of backpack. Only a Cork fella would do that, like. <laughs> so uh, she said, why, why, why would you do that? And I said, Simple. I said, The, pap- the backpack she had at the moment aren't, aren't great. But she said, Fair enough. <laughs> okay. So she said, um, She gave me some briefs, and every couple of Wednesdays, then I'd go out and she said, If the brief came in, and it was for the Italian 90, Irish top. She wanted me to do some neck lines and rib lines. Right. So I got about, about 15, 20 variations of neck cuts and ribs, uh, Steve ribs.
10: Right.
15: And uh, basically said, uh, can we copy them? You uh, just sat
1: down, the... down with your drawing pad.
15: Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Right. And
15: and it, was, um, windows and it could have been two, four or five directors from Ariba still and me at the age of 15 sitting across the table from them. And uh, they just said, "Can we can we copy them?" And I said, "You can." Can we use them? I said, "You can." So, that you is, me? Is. Uh, no, I didn't have I was actually given a pair of runners. Get away. <laughs> and uh And brought around the factory, showing the whole production process from start to finish. I, I was actually akin to uh, walking through the door, and the magic door in Bosco, where you see everything. You know, the, so, from start so, to so, in other
1: words, when when David O'Leary stepped up. Mm. And the country held its breath. Yes. There around his neck was your design. Well, I, I
15: gave them 15 to 20 designs, so I do not know which one they actually ran with. Um, Fabulous. Yeah, and actually the, um, these, the, the brief on the new number one was a throwback to the 1990 World Cup kit. <sighs> so maybe the new one is the old one that I don't I don't know, because there were so many designs
1: I gave them at that stage. Um do you know what that is, Andrew? That's, that's inspirational because, do you know, you there with your little sketches that you used to do as a hobby in mm. your teens. And the next thing you know, Adidas are asking you to give them those little designs. And they one of them gets incorporated into the Ireland shirt at the World Cup. Like, that's any young fella that fancies doing a bit of sketching or drawing, encourage it. Yeah, I suppose it didn't stop there because in
15: 1997, when the the Five Nations became the Six Nations, obviously.
1: Yeah.
15: I done the logo for that too, and the Six Nations just took it and ran with it. Did you get paid for that one? Uh, no. <laughs> Andrew. <laughs> no, Andrew. No. <laughs> oh, um, I think probably has a copy of that the logo. I think you sent down to me earlier. Yeah, brilliant! It, it, and you got a letter is, uh, from Umbro
1: as well, did you? Well, I got a couple of
15: correspondence from. It was a uh, Judy Brown. She was head of design in in Manchester, yeah. and she said um, it wasn't feasible at the time because it was just the politics of in-house designers. Um, yeah. But I think there's two or three letters from Umbro stating that. I can see that, this uh, here now. Fergus just yeah. put
1: it up on the screen. The RBS Six Nations logo with the kind of the the the, the, the rugby ball made into the six.
15: Yeah, well, I did. I did say, I did tell them in the, in the, the correspondence just to take a six out of this, which they did it, and um, they they ran with it, and and um,
1: basically kind of said, you know, you you're, and I know, I know you as a damn good house music DJ, <laughs> but I would never have had you down as a designer. Well done. Thank, thanks, DJ. Thank you. That's a cracking story. Well done. Yeah, and thanks, thanks, thanks a bunch. 1850, 71599. Says, remember the Adidas factory? Do you remember it? And there's a they had quite a lot of people working there back in the day. Um so that's that's an inspiration. So if you've got a youngster who does a bit of drawing and designing and sketching and stuff like that, and if he looks at the soccer or the rugby and he's drawing jerseys, but if anyone takes him up on it, make sure he gets paid for it. Poor old Andrew. 1850-715-996. Science.
0: What you know about science? Tell me what you know about science. Science. What you know about science? Tell me what you know about science. Science can help us find a cure. I help my brother find a cure. Can help us tackle global warming. Get more honey, make a bee's house warming. Topic is hot like a bunty. Never mind your range over Imagine Harley's built of computers Play like Pat Horgan because you super smart, slitter, give it a whack Boomerang edition,
12: it'll even come back Science, shapes our futures So don't ignore it
2: Science, no matter who you are We can all explore it Science, shapes our futures So don't ignore it Science, no matter who you are
1: We can all explore it How be stuck head all day, Mervyn Horgan? Good morning to you
13: Hello, PJ. How are you? Good. that would be stuck in my head all day. Yeah, it's a it's a catchy tune, isn't it? Yeah. Who put that together? Well, it's the, it's the people up in the cabin. Um, ah. uh, they're up in the, up in the north side of the There with Gary, yeah. Gary. I might have
1: known. I might have known. Is written all over it. This would you would you know it from Cork? Would you? Oh, would you know it? I know it was Gary. I know it was Gary and the crew. They do great work with the kids up there. This is this is the theme for Science Festival. Which is on, is it starting or started?
13: It started, starting on Sunday, yeah. So um, it runs from the 8th to the 15th of November. Um, it's the it's the 25th anniversary of actually National Science Week. And Cork Science Festival is a big part of that, you know. So we've over 120 events put up online. Um, we're gone virtual, I don't think we have to say why. So um, we're looking for everyone to engage. We have, um, all the events are free. So we have scientists being able to zoom into your home on Sunday. We have a list of experiments we can send you in advance to participate. So it's all about just engaging and just having a bit of fun.
1: How interested are kids in science and technology and stuff like that?
13: Oh, they're very interested. I mean, and they know a lot, PJ, you know. I mean, the they, um, uh, modern children now in this age. I mean, they've grown up with mobile phones, they've grown up with Playstations. They know more than we do. They know exactly what the technology can do and where it can take them. I thought what's missing maybe is is the hands-on stuff, you know, putting something into children's hands. Um, But over the last six months, I think we've, we've, we've began to maybe go back to that go back to looking at trees, go back to walks, go back mm. to studying rivers, go back to looking at wildlife. So I suppose we, we've kind of gone back to maybe when we were children, when we, had, we didn't have all these fancy gizmos. Yeah. But I'd be a believer of if we can get something into a child's hands, pick up something, look at something, study something, yeah. they, 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 their learning changes, yeah. totally changes. And you're, it's not are not learning the, either. In, Two interesting,
1: well. in, interesting projects that jump out is bubbles. We all know what bubbles are, but you're just they're going to study bubbles with kids.
13: Look, we, we are, yes, yes, there's a, there's a virtual workshop, um, um, from Scientific Sue, and she's, I mean, she can actually cover. She can build a, bo- a giant bubble and step into it herself, you know. Wow. She's amazing. And she, she's had nice little recipes to make bubbles at home. And oh she, God, she can even ki-
1: there'll be kitchens in bits now, you know.
13: Kitchens <laughs> in bits, yeah, yeah. And I we did throw in the water there with, with Halloween, with making slime and stuff like that as well, you know. So,
1: <laughs> oh, that's um, why you'll be, getting the, you'll be getting annoyed letters from, ki- from, from parents. <laughs> but listen, they're learning. And what about what makes sound, I think, is another one.
13: Yeah, so that's on Sunday. Um, so what we have is, is um, the people from Science Made Simple. Um, you can register on our website, www.corksciencefestival.ie, and we'll send you just a little list of small household items from your kitchen. And our facilitator then will dial in on Sunday morning and go through a little workshop on how, and explain how sound works. Fantastic. And you, you can make your own musical instruments. So we, we've programmed the, the weekend and the family events to be available early in the morning, so 10 o'clock, 11 right. o'clock, 12 o'clock, one. o'clock. So, the idea being that maybe that's the time that you're hanging around at home, you know, you're just after waking up. If you yeah. keep the, 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 the sound in front occupied. of the
1: screen and you go back to sleep. Quickly, the address again is. In the
13: afternoon for your stroll. Brilliant. The address again is. www.cocksignsustle.ie. All
1: right, that's it, Mervyn. Thank you very much for that and good luck with it. That's Mervyn Horgan. And that's it for the bus for today, uh, edited by Terry Rennan, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. See you tomorrow, just after nine.